0: Time to get dough.
1: in Los Angeles. Hope everyone's having a great weekend. Taking a bunch of calls today. So if you want to call in, get in the queue. We will get to your call. Guaranteed. You're listening to a song called Grace by Televangel. Can't listen to it anywhere, but right here on Dost and Televangel's Patreon. Hey, Abby. What's up, Mike? Nice
0: to hang out. (laughs) Just hanging out, baby. Welcome to Dost, everybody. This is your host, Abby Martin. Today we're going to do something a little bit different than our regular programming. We wanted to celebrate 10 successful episodes of Dost by taking a break from the usual mind-blowing content that we've been delivering on the regular, which has featured incredible guests like Peter Joseph, Duncan Trussell, Adam Conover, and dived into topics like fungi, botany, cults, big wave surfing, and so much more to just chat a little bit about the news that we haven't been able to comment on lately. Mike and I wanted to get back to our Empire Files roots a bit and use this space today to go over some of the crazy stuff that's been happening for the last few weeks. Because let's face it, there's no shortage of crazy shit going on in the good old heart of the Empire. We also want to hear from you usually on dosed we wait until the very end of the conversation to open up the lines and it's always about a specific topic so it's kind of hard to engage freely with each other so today we encourage everyone to call in at any time and with questions about anything so please feel free to join the queue we're very excited to chat with you and remember when you call in think of something that has dosed you change the way you think about the world about politics about anything, you want to hear that story as well. For those who follow Empire Files, Fires, Files, we're still in the middle of filming for Earth's Greatest Enemy, and we plan to finish all the filming by the end of the year, get to editing next year. It's been an enormous undertaking, and every stone we've uncovered is just another huge aspect of US military pollution that we feel is really important. So please be patient, stay with us. We are still in the heart of that, in the thick of it, have a lot more to do. We also just put together a short expose on a pretty bizarre story of a museum, small museum in Barrie, Massachusetts, that has seized Native American remains, as well as artifacts from the Wounded Knee Massacre. This is a problem that's pervasive across the country be sure to not miss that on the empire files youtube channel so mike let's get started
1: hey abby what's uh, been your favorite dose episode so far
0: oh man that's a really good question i honestly don't have a favorite because everyone has been so different i mean of course peter joseph is always really amazing because he helped dose me so long ago but man i would honestly say duncan trussell for sure and then i feel like becca mm. becca leon about about the Jehovah's Witness stuff because it's just something that's so under-reported and I felt like the engagement from the audience about their own experiences and especially the reception afterward of a lot of ex-JWs and a lot of people who have lost friends and families, family members, excuse me, um, to the cult. So really important episode I feel like that we put out that I haven't really heard anyone else talking about.
1: What about you? Oh man, well definitely. I guess for the same reason you liked Peter Joseph, I liked the Daniele Bolele (laughs) because I'm such a fan of his for a very long time and it was cool to have an excuse to talk to him like that. Um, Also, the fungi one we just did was just awesome to me. I mean, I think that the guest we had, who has his own Colin show and other stuff, fascinated by fungi, It's like he was just such a good science communicator. I felt that all these really cool facts that help you get a deeper understanding of that whole kingdom he just did a really awesome job of and it just was a great just overview overall if you want to want to know about fungi that's the episode to listen to you get a crash course in a 90 minutes you learn it all
0: absolutely uh really great episode thanks for reminding me of that i need to check out that dude's Colin show specifically to dive into all the little little things that he touched upon with us um but, you know, let's let's talk about some stuff that's been happening lately because we haven't really done an Empire Files podcast recently. We were kind of knee deep in the crazy ass story that I just mentioned about that Barry Massachusetts theft of, you know, the Wounded Knee Massacre stuff. And then, of course, just Earth's Greatest Enemy. And then, of course, the People's Summit, this massive grassroots initiative here in Los Angeles that was countering Biden's imperialist summit of the americas hosted right here in downtown la mere blocks away from skid row the epicenter of the homelessness crisis in the country mike it was the first time the summit was hosted in the u.s since the inaugural event in 1994 trump of course skipped the last summit in Lima in 2018 and just to give you kind of a sense of how the corporate media covers this shit (laughs) you know voice of america um u.s funded State Department-backed propaganda outlet that is not labeled U.S.-funded state propaganda on any social media networks, and it's totally taken at face value. This is how it uh, portrayed this year's summit. When the U.S. said last year would host the 2022 Summit of the Americas, officials had high hopes the event would help repair Trump-era damage to relations and reassert U.S. primacy over China's growing clout in Latin America. I mean it's just incredible um if you read between the lines here it's basically saying that biden is just trying to assert his imperial dominance over a region he claims is his front yard and if you look at trump he said latin america was his backyard so pick your flavor of neocolonialism there i mean the event was poorly attended poorly received it was basically over before it began because it was a total fucking joke the summit was marred and ridiculed because of who was not invited and who subsequently boycotted the event as a result of the disinvitation to Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. Now, they were excluded on the grounds that they are undemocratic countries. <laughs> in 2001, the OAS, the Organization of American States, passed this charter barring non-democratic states from participating in these summits at the behest of the United States. So, you know, Obama kind of... Um, overruled this when he normalized relations with Cuba, and so he opened up dialogue there. But it's just funny. I mean, looking at the OAS, the Organization of American States, who the fuck is this organization to say that Venezuela and Nicaragua are not democratic countries? Sure, Cuba has a one-party system. There's still democracy happening at the grassroots level. Venezuela is a democratic country. (laughs) Nicaragua has democratic elections. Like, this organization is a joke. It's a puppet of the United States, majority funding of the United States. We know that they have backed, you know, the the absurd puppetry of Juan Guaido, the fake presidency of Juan Guaido, the uh, fascist coup in Bolivia, again, overthrowing a democratically elected wildly popular leader, Eva Morales. So it's cartoonish, right? It's cartoonish. And I'm so happy that it was such a failure and such a, it was, it was really ridiculed and a huge embarrassment for Biden. Um, And I mean, look at Colombia, of course, you know, this is the US's closest ally in the region. It's an extension of US military power in Latin America. And it's one of the most dangerous places in the world for activists, for journalists, for union
1: organizers.
0: Um, And I think that really says it all. Not
1: only are they, you know, kind of, a. it's not just that they're kind of anti-democratic. When the left wing tried to form a political party in the 80s and run for office, the the government policy was just to kill every single candidate. And so the entire party was just eliminated by just mass assassinations of anyone who dared to try to run for public office or be a public member of this left wing political party.
0: And look at their repression of protesters earlier. I mean, it it was really horrific, like blowing out the eyes of protesters, like on purpose, you know, shooting people dead in the streets. You never really heard a word about that from uh, U.S. authorities, oddly enough. So it it is, hypocrisy doesn't even begin to describe how ridiculous all of this is. But I was really happy to see Mexico's president, of course, Andres Manuel López. I'm going to try my Spanish accent. López Obrador boycotted the event. (laughs) Um, You know, it, it, it was great that he did that because that was a huge a huge problem for Biden to have Mexico's Mexico,
1: important ally supposedly.
0: Yeah, right. Um, so that was that was very embarrassing. And actually, because of all of this, it was one of the lowest attended summits since the beginning of these summits thirty years ago. Presidents of El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras also did not attend in protest. In Honduras, I thought um, was like a pretty you know pretty reliant on on the U.S. So. Just quickly, um, people may have seen a couple videos getting viral over the last couple weeks featuring yours truly. I got a chance to confront Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, in an offshoot of the summit at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. I don't know why the fuck there's like an ASU campus affiliate here in LA, but um but it was incredible. I mean it was a bizarre event. Uh, barely anyone was there except Foreign Press. It was a total PR, just Stooge, you know, take a couple canned shots. Blinken gives his canned speech and then just everyone transcribes it and puts it out on the press wire. And you know, me and Eugene Perrier from Breakthrough News were able to go and of course there's no QA. You know, of course they don't open questions up to the audience because all of these events are pre scripted You know, pre-approved, all of the journalists who they do speak to are, you know, carefully, like, vetted. And so this whole event was arranged around these, like, three women who were just, I mean, the the questions were completely absurd. You can watch it yourself. I I did a whole live stream on my Instagram, at Fab Abs, that you can check out. Also, we posted the video on our Empire Files playlist about just explaining how insane this whole thing was. But um, long story short, I was able to just jump in there for the moment's breadth of Anthony Blinken stopping talking about the repression of journalists in Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela, and just in that moment before he was, you know, escorted to, to do this pre-approved, pre-scripted interview with these women, I was able to, you know, confront him about the Israeli assassination of Shireen Abu Akleh, which we have now confirmed via several independent news sources, Al Jazeera, AP, and... CNN. They have all confirmed New York confirmed Times. New York Ti- really? Because New York Times has been fucking horrific on us. They this. had some
1: bad editorials, but they did like their forensic investigation and showed that the position of where the so the militants were was the opposite direction uh, from the Israeli soldiers as Shireen. So like the claim that Israelis were just thinking they were shooting at militants, it was completely, you know, it was obvious. And so yeah, the New York Times investigation actually was... Decent, I, mean. I mean,
0: all of this stuff is just so absurd because it's all framed around the, the like both sides of them. Like, well, well, there was just militants in the area that were shooting. And so it was like so confusing. It was this crazy armed conflict. It's like none of that is real. That's not at all what is happening in Palestine. Like, and, and even the Washington Post came out with something basically saying we should applaud Israel for like wanting to investigate this and that it never would have happened the assassination of Shireen never would have happened if it weren't for these Israelis getting killed in weeks prior. It's like, oh, well, then none of this would have happened if you didn't take Palestine over. <laughs> like, how far back do you want to go here? And, like, I mean, it's just so absurd. But, um, you know, it was shocking to see Anthony Blinken actually respond to me. But knowing how slick these people are, I mean, these people are very smooth operators. Anthony Blinken's been in power. You know, he, he was kind of a right-hand man to Obama during the administration, he's been in power for decades. He's been weaving in and out of the scenes with these think tanks and stuff like that. And so he knows exactly what to say and do. And it did not, it seemed like it didn't even phase him, you know? On the other hand, Luis Almagro, the head of the OAS, was like a scared puppy dog when um, a guy from the PSL, Walter Smoleric, actually confronted him, stood up in the middle of his speech, and just started yelling about the coup in Bolivia. It was amazing to see like an uninterrupted three minute long disruption mike i wish that you were able to yell at george w bush for that long because this was nuts i think (laughs) the reason
1: they didn't stop him is because he thought he was one of the journalism students you know because the whole thing was like a journalism student event from like the walter cronkite school of journalism so i think they just assumed he was a student and were like oh we can't kick out one of the people who is like officially attending this event and then at some point they realize like oh wait this is just a guy who came in <laughs> yeah Luis almagro was so like stuttering
0: stammering i mean at the beginning he couldn't even describe what the oas was like this is before, before Walter. the disruption yeah, yeah before the disruption the woman's asking and this former editor of uh, editor of the national Geographic, she's just like so why do you like do this job you know and it's like okay that's like the easiest question possible man like you got this one in the bag right and he literally whips out a pamphlet like an oas like pamphlet and he's like let me just read from this. I mean, it was. <laughs> Let me so- read from the <laughs> brochure
1: that someone published for me.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was so ridiculous. The whole event was framed, of course, around like disinfo on Twitter and like how do we echo State Department propaganda narratives and how do we like counter, you know, this dangerous. No, that was an
1: actual. I was actually shocked when you told me that. Like that was an yeah, actual yeah, yeah. question to Blinken. Was like, how do we amplify your message? Mm-hmm. That a journalist, journalism student, was it journalism students I don't know who interviewed who they him? Were but yeah. literally asking. The head of state, the most powerful, <laughs> like or secretary of state, and like the most powerful country in the world. How do we amplify your message? The state. I mean, that's like state. That's like officially wanting to do state propaganda. Exactly. How exactly. do we unquestioningly amplify what you are telling people is the truth, right? And what they should believe,
0: right? And he was just—he's just like us, Mike. He was just really a down-home, good old boy talking about how he wanted to originally write for the New York Post, right you know like uh headlines like sensational tabloid headlines he's just a really funny guy you know um but you know was significant in, in the sense that he did respond to me um of course he blanketly denied the facts and i tried to argue with him but it's like how far are you are you gonna go with this you know i mean you could you could go back and forth all day but if someone is just straight up denying the truth i don't really know how far you could have pressed that um and of course, I would have been kicked out if I if I went any further than what I did. But um, it is just amazing because he basically was delegitimizing all these other in- independent investigations by saying, "We need an independent investigation."
1: First time he said it.
0: First time any State Department official, any U.S. official, has actually called for an independent um, investigation of this. Meaning, by you know, by definition, Israel should not conduct that. But at the same time, all these independent investigations had already been done, and they'd already confirmed resoundingly so that with you know audio forensics and ballistics and the eight eyewitness testimonies that um shireen abu akla was murdered and as we know from our film um gaza fights for freedom mike i mean this is (laughs) this is a routine practice yeah you know? they
1: target target people with press fest pretty regularly it's yeah. not and then actually just a, a few days after shireen was killed another journalist was killed mm-hmm. uh by israeli forces but she wasn't a u.s citizen so it didn't get the same kind of coverage but it's 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 very regular it's they very know what regular. they're doing yeah. yeah no and i think just like um
0: razan al-Najar, the incredible heroic medic who was, I think she was deliberately targeted by Israeli forces. I think that the same thing happened with Shireen. I think that, of course, she was a thorn in the side of Israel. You know, she's constantly out there doing the work, and they just were like, fuck you, dude. And they just fucking executed her, and we know that that's what they did. Come on, guys. And so it's, it's grotesque, this just hypocrisy that just is ringing constantly from the State Department about who are foes and you know, friends are around the world, especially, you know, given who Biden is visiting this week. (laughs) Oh, and I brought up Jamal Khashoggi, too, because it's just so ridiculous, you know, to, to be up there talking about how we cherish a free press and democracy. And it's like, you are best friends with Saudi Arabia who butchered with a bone saw, with, like, U.S., like, al- like wasn't it, like, U.S. mercenaries or something? It was, like, the story got, like, even crazier than even initially, like, oh, it was just our ally that did this, you know, to this guy. It was actually, like, it got nuttier. But, like, some well, of the yeah, U.S. And- was, like, more involved than we thought before.
1: Yeah, and, like, this, the Saudi military is just completely, not just armed by the United States, but, like, they give all of the, like, intelligence and mm-hmm. su- support to wage the war in Yemen and everything and you know same with Israel obviously and so like these two really recent egregious assassinations of journalists and the U.S. is just like yeah we, we support free press but we're just going to dump tons more weapons and money into these two states that clearly uh you know and there's others too there's Colombia there's plenty of examples of U.S. supporting pretty repressive anti-free press regimes with with guns not just like political support but like arming them
0: yeah and Blinken I mean biden just approved another sale of like huge missiles to oh but they're all defensive
1: defensive missiles,
0: defensive yeah missiles i love that oxymoron um yeah to saudi i think in november was like mm-hmm. the most recent one so i i don't know how routinely this is happening but pretty incredible stuff um
1: Oh yeah, he's going. To, he's going to yeah. kiss the ring this week, Biden. Oh, I yep. mean, after like campaigning. I mean, that was one of his main points of distinction with Trump. It was like how horrible it was that Trump let Saudi Arabia off the hook for murdering a. He called Washington.
0: him a pariah state.
1: Yeah, right. For the murder. Yeah, you know, a Washington Post journalist, U.S. resident, kids who are American citizens. I mean, it's it, you know, was pretty egregious and uh trump was like oh, fuck it and then um, but biden it was one of his main campaign pain things to distinguish himself from trump even on their way i mean you actually did a report on this on an empire update uh several months back of just biden really hammered on this point about how horrible it was that trump did nothing and that he was going to take action and all this stuff um and then he came in and said well it's too kind of politically inconvenient and so i'm just gonna like ignore him and like not not be pictured with prince bin Salman. And so now that's that's not the case anymore. He's on his way to Saudi Arabia to go literally kiss his ring to try to beg him to... More oil. Yeah, which is also completely nuts because, yes, gas prices are pretty nuts right now. I mean, here where we live, it's... Putin tax. Yeah, you know, it costs like $100 to fill up our gas tank. You know, gas is close to $7 a gallon here. Um, but there's all types of things a president can do other than go beg Saudi Arabia for, like, more oil imports. Like price controls on the oil companies i mean the only solutions that biden sees as available are solutions that don't infringe on the rights of the oil companies to just reap super profits off of a crisis like this and you know fuck over all these working class people because they want to be able to charge what they charge i mean they set the, the prices the companies you know and the government can come in and tell them not to but he would rather go to saudi arabia and hang out with you know, this super repressive police state monarchy as a solution instead.
2: Oh,
0: well, don't forget he's also going to Israel. Right on he the is. heels of Sharia. Oh my God, his murder. Is? Yeah. Of course. What? the same week he's going like within like a three-day like yeah three-day stint dude he's going to israel and saudi arabia it's just so funny (laughs) because it was like right after this happened you know (laughs) (laughs) it was like right after like this confrontation and you know it was amazing to see this covered you know in places like democracy now and al jazeera of course and a lot of foreign press and i think what was really striking about it though mike is the fact that why was it a story Why is it a story Mm -hmm. when someone asks a real question to a US official, Right, you know, and I think that's the story. The story is that our press are acquiescent, pathetic lapdogs for power and ladder climbing sycophants who basically do this job for access and for quid pro quos with politicians. And it's all under the auspices of the greatest democracy, the greatest, you know, press freedom in the world. But when you really hone in on what, how this all operates, especially in the echelons of power, it is impossible to be where you are if you do do this kind of stuff. And so it, that, it's just funny that, like, you know, this should be happening every single day.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are obviously, like tough questions at the press corps, you know, and like the Gen Saki like, you know, it was all like fielding the tough questions from the reporters, but they're tough questions that don't question the like greatness or supremacy of the United States. Like your question was news because it was saying the U.S. is a is a hypocrite. You support these like those are things that don't get don't get put out by which are like the real observations about the the glory and the greatness of the united states and so there are quote-unquote tough questions but they're within the frame of like okay we have to at least accept that we're on the same page about america being this ultimately wonderful great democracy you know that that, has the
0: right mm -hmm. to impose its order and and dictate global affairs and yeah i mean I, i think helen thomas was like one of the last great you know Powerhouses, and of course, we know what happened to her. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is it is so funny because, like, when you do see hard questions being asked, it's either like hyper partisan,
1: mm-hmm. right? From like right wing reporters, yeah, yeah. Like-
0: or, or like, I mean, we all saw like the press. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it's pretty fucking bizarre. All the press pool like hammering. Jen Psaki or whoever the hell the new it wasn't the newest iteration of the press secretary it was like the one I guess it was Saki before that who took a job with MSNBC you know the revolving door continues but they were just like why won't you give Zelensky what he wants like right. why won't you give him more like why are you not doing a no-fly zone it was just like what the, like that's yeah. your I mean it was the most insane like rabid uh, wolves circling around a blood trough and I, the only guy who had, like, a sane response was Ryan Grimm, who was just like, why, don't, why aren't you negotiating diplomacy? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just I'll just finish this story before we take some calls, um, talking about, you know, there was a huge counter to the Summit of the Americas, um, which was also very poorly attended, not just by the heads of state, by, but by actual people. Photographs right. <laughs> came out of just the stark absence of human beings in the audience like sitting 10 these people and like the
1: main <laughs> panel of the summit
0: um <laughs> uh, they're mike. all reporters probably <laughs> yeah mike and i both gave talks at this people's summit that everyone should check out on bt newsroom which is a great uh news organization breakthrough news. breakthrough news yeah bt newsroom for short check out their um youtube channel and check out all of the panels and I think they're starting to cut the talks. One of uh, my talk about sanctions, Mike. We're gonna we're gonna cut your talk. Put it up on Empire Files. Check out Empire Files. We put my talk on there. We're putting Mike's up soon. And it's just the most incredible lineup of speakers, of activists, of organizers
1: around the world. Including I mean, including who? Who are the heavy hitter speakers at the? Cornel
0: West, baby.
1: I'm talking about the big, big ones.
0: Oh shit, e- um, Evo Morales,
1: Evo Morales, diaz Canal. President of Cuba? Yeah.
0: President of Cuba, Evo Morales, and boom, boom, boom. President of Venezuela? Nicolás Maduro, baby. They all gave uh, plenary speeches uh, supporting the People's Summit, which was just incredible. I think the opener was like another state official from one of these... um, maybe the Nic- um, fuck i'm, I'm gonna well there's a lot that, of but... like
1: it was actually the, the people's movements in all these countries so like brazil of course yeah, with a yeah, yeah. fascist bolsonaro crazy right-wing insane mm-hmm. president um all of the like indigenous and left-wing leaders from brazil came to the people's summit instead and that was true for all these other countries whose presidents were attending biden's summit the actual people's movement leaders were here at this summit in los angeles at our summit not at biden's summit
0: it was an incredible event, you guys. I mean, I'm a pretty cynical person and I left like super pumped. I was like, we can fucking win! I was just like, yes! I mean, to see, to see this enormous initiative be th- this much of a success. I mean, it was an incredible grassroots effort to build and mobilize an actual anti-imperialist internationalist movement you know, of workers from across this region um, that were all fighting for the same goal to advance people's power and to really, you know, dictate our own futures instead of the people in Pentagon who are trying to... Over 225 organizations endorsed it and were representing there. And I think that was what was so powerful to me because, you know, doing a lot of our work through the internet just feels like you're very siloed off, mm-hmm. you're very isolated, and it's also, like, so fucking... um What's the word of, of like how the left is very like uh, atomized, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of infighting. And so it was beautiful to just see this umbrella of um, like a huge coalition basically being, being built and just saying like we all want to advance these goals and we're all, we are all willing to set aside maybe minor differences to really work uh, to advance them. And it ended with this huge
1: march um, right to the doorstep of Biden's failed summit, which was, <laughs> which was really cool. Yeah, it was about like a thousand people or so marching from the good summit to the bad summit. It was pretty cool and actually that was a big struggle around that because the lapd denied the permit for the march um you know on the basis it was like a security issue and there had to be like a big legal fight to be able to like, be able to do the march without it being like smashed by the police as some kind of like assassination attempt on biden or something like that that's oh how God, they were trying dude.
0: to treat it even though it was like a total free speech zone like you couldn't even get anywhere near the big
1: fences yeah, yeah. The free speech and fences like, even, all that stuff yeah i don't
0: even know how the hell and like so much like um undercover like security <laughs> guards and shit everywhere but definitely
1: really inspiring i mean Also shows that, like, the struggle, our struggle is an international one, and that, like, why it's important to talk understand and talk about and cover international issues is because they are completely tied to ours and so that's how the that's how the left wing in all these other countries it wasn't just latin american countries that were represented the left but like um, you know korea throughout asia africa there's a lot of people there from congo and and so forth and so that is you know when you have people from all over the world who are on the same page politically all together talk sharing their experiences talking about organizing expressing solidarity with each other you get a much bigger and optimistic view of of what we're part of which you absolutely do not get like if you're just on like scrolling on twitter and stuff
0: yeah absolutely it was really inspiring to just be like i'm super motivated to get involved you know and i'm really just inspired to like know that we can actually win and it was like kind of a vision of what the future could be like
1: yeah and know? it was actually it was fun because we are you know we're we're asked to do like reporting from it and to do p- live streaming from the march live streaming all this stuff and we we're just like we just want to be part of it yeah you know yeah. <laughs> i'm glad that people are covering it breakthrough news did a great job and, and other people who are there but like it it felt good to to just be there the as participants mm-hmm. um and and all that so
0: yeah right good point instead of yeah totally why do we take some calls because a Time lot of people to are to get the- do the lines are open We're going to talk about Assange and a lot of stuff coming up, but let's take some calls for the people who are waiting in the queue.
1: The lines are open. Our first call, Brady, where are you calling from? And thank you for calling.
3: Right here in a little town, the the Halotus, Texas. Talked to you guys last couple weeks ago. And so I have so many things I want to talk to you guys about. Y'all are both my heroes. Mike, Abby, uh congratulations to Abby for joining Mike in the vocal shoe chucking club. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh and so I have so many things I want to talk about. I guess I'll give you an option. Do you want to talk about some of my failing projects like the People Party, the the D bullshit movement, the global dojo of scienceology, community gardening, or we could just talk about DMT for a little bit.
0: <laughs> Why don't we and, start here, Brady? Why don't we start with saying you know, what what dosed you in your life? Like it could be anything um, you know have you thought about that really is
3: what dosed me okay and you know i was about to join the marines and nine eleven happened, and it made me uh, re-question everything you know and uh i was you fucking mention... dodged a bullet man uh, you're not like <laughs> yeah. me who joined
1: like one month before nine eleven.
3: <laughs> this and this brings me to uh what re- i'll say that after nine eleven, abby martin uh breaking the set is exactly what dosed me and i was wondering if there's any uh way we can access all of those episodes if you know a place we can find all of those episodes
0: so my mom if you're listening to this sue i'm still waiting for those archives she claims to have archived every single episode on her computer but i I won't believe it until i see it (laughs) but then i also found some guy on youtube who've who apparently has torrented several um chapters of it so i don't know how many seasons he has but i am Absolutely dedicated to getting those up, mirrored on at least Odyssey has offered to host them. So stay tuned. Sign up for our mailing list, and I'll definitely notify everyone once those are up. But but thank you. That's super awesome that you got dosed by that a little bit. I
3: have three guests that I would love to see you interview. Uh, Go for it. First one is Whitney Webb. Uh, The other Mm -hmm. one is Carrie Wedler of the Anti Media. And Jesse Ventura, because I think you need to give <laughs> Jesse Ventura lots of love, you know, because he has yeah. to dose a lot of people. I was wondering, uh, Mike, how much have you been dosed by Jesse Ventura? How much did Jesse Ventura personally <laughs> dose you?
1: Oh, man, um, I I love the guy. I think he's cool. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like when I was becoming politically conscious, he wasn't really on my radar until later. Um, so I kind of discovered him after I had gone through my, my big transformation. But I definitely appreciate his perspective as this. You know, there's there's not many special operations guys who end up in the world that we are in. And I think it's important for that um, because, you know, I hosted a show with one of them, Spencer and Eyes Left. You know, there's not many special operations guys who end up joining the right side. Um, there have been throughout history, but they're very small numerically. And so that I feel like is his one of his big contributions as someone who was in... The most elite, special, like whatever like everyone a glorifies, expert, right or something. He was a and SEAL. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Frogman. Um, yeah. So yes, so I think that's. I think so show
3: appreciate him so that. Much love. I think that's why we need to show him so much love to encourage more guys like him to come out. We need men mm-hmm. like him on our side. You know. Oh yeah, and Brady. So
0: we- I, it's such a great idea. I'm definitely going to reach out to him to interview him on the show because it, it. Not only is his military background so interesting, but just the fact that he actually won an independent. Party to run as like the governor of Minnesota. I mean, that is
1: also wrestling really... is really cool.
0: Oh yeah, and the re- I mean he has he has yeah, he's lived several lives, but like the fact the that he actually did that, you know, those the are body. like
1: the, the top entertainers in, in the world <laughs> of pro wrestlers. Um, but yes. yeah, no, we're we know as uh, we know people who work on our show well and are good friends of ours, and so we're definitely no. That's
3: a, such a good idea, dude. I'm so definitely gonna take you up on that. The the people party platform would love to float and host Dr. Cornell West as president and Jesse Ventura as vice president, or. <laughs> oh, Oh, hell yeah doing. i think that'd be a great platform and i'd just like to end really quick so we can get yeah the people uh just three vocabulary words let's just call him donald instead of trump because it's less empowering <laughs> and uh yeah call his followers uh donald worshipers they hate it when you call them donald worshipers it makes their skin crawl and uh <laughs> false dichotomy, I think, is false dichotomy is a super useful term we could all make use of, and I think mm-hmm. I'll just uh, shout out Akala as a rap artist that you guys should
0: check out. Dude, really, really great points, Brady. I, I definitely want to reach out to Akala. I've been wanting to talk to him forever. This is a perfect platform to do it. Jesse Ventura, absolutely, and I love the Donald worshipers because these people do not think yes. that they are, like, taken by kind of you know trump they think that they're like in the know you know the secret club of truth and it's like no no you guys you just worship a a dude wait until they find
3: out what's in the red pills (laughs) yeah right yeah
1: (laughs) looking forward to talking to you about dmt another time brady but appreciate your call
0: likewise thanks so much man
1: brett you're on the line where are you brett
4: Oh yeah, I'm calling from
0: Scotland. Yeah. Hey, yes. Hey, Brett. We how's were just how's there. the weather over there right now? Rainy?
1: Um, Are you getting all five seasons in one day?
4: <laughs> uh, yes, I have today. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the moment, it's what we call uh, dreak. Uh, mm. I mean, it's pretty cloudy and it's wanting to rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm actually originally from London, so I haven't really got a strong Scottish accent, but I've been here for 22 years. So you're nice. wondering if my accent is what they call an army accent. It's not really from anywhere.
0: Particularly. You're fake. Um, <laughs>
4: you're not a yeah, Scot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so kind of. I'm married to, I'm married to a Scottish woman. so she, she, Put her she, on the yeah, line, <laughs> man. Oh, You're yeah.
1: married into it. It counts.
4: Yeah, yeah. Now they call me. The, our whole family called me a, the adopted Englishman, so it's fine. But, <laughs> there's a lot of banter over it, so it's great. <laughs> I love it. But you visited Scotland last year, and that's what one thing, kind of a what to call a dosed moment for me was that when well I see Mike shouting down. Um, was it George Bush over his war crimes, which was fantastic. But I'm uh, yeah. a member of the, the, the Peace and Justice uh, sorry, Peace mm. and Justice Project founded by Jeremy Corbyn. So we had uh, our own little uh, uh, COP26 um, kind of uh, event uh, mm-hmm. during them weeks. You were there. And uh, yeah. it was when you would question, well, when I see you question Na- Nancy Pelosi, it kind of gave me, oh, my God, they know who you are kind of moment because when you ask her the question she, well so before she asks you ask her the question she goes i want a woman i want a woman she leans into the mic looks across like kind of cocky looking and says i want a woman i want a woman um you know a quality, you know she looks up she sees you and goes oh maybe i don't and <laughs> that moment there i went oh she knows who you love <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And at that yeah. moment there, I was like, "They know who you are." Because, like, I didn't know. Well, up to about seven years ago, I didn't know who the biggest polluter in the world was. I didn't know it was U.S. Army, and it was because of you I found out through an interview or, uh, you know, well, a YouTube interview you had done. And I was like, when I started following you and kind of like keeping an eye on everything you do on the Empire Files, and you know, where I can, I try and watch everything you guys do. Uh, from the uk and talk about you wherever i can but that was a moment there where i was like yeah they know about you <laughs> and, they, and they expect these hard questions but they she didn't have an answer for you if i remember she passed it over and i can't mm-hmm. remember what he what the answer was, was a load of rubble. Like,
5: right.
1: it, no, that was, she passed it to a guy who said, we actually need a bigger military, bigger Navy, because the ocean levels are going to rise. There's going to be more ocean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how her Did whole thing that? was about identity politics. And then that. she was like, a man, she was like, I need someone to like, jump in here. She was <laughs> like the guy, like some New Jersey governor or what, whatever, congressman who was just like, yeah, like obviously you know we're going to need like baby, bigger I boats. Know. Yeah, see yeah, oh time, yeah!
4: Did you notice the safe? Yeah, because yeah. right. and that was, as I said, that moment there was—they know about you guys. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it was a creepy. Let, m- let me laughing.
0: just say, let me just say something that I was—it it was like a blackout moment. You know, like when you're when something like that's happening, you don't even know what's happening until you watch the video later. And you and I just kind of blacked out. And so I I watched the video later, and I was like, I kind of like laughed at her saying that. But then I did realize later, oh my god, like she someone gave her a cue like don't talk to this woman but it was too late <laughs> the wheels were already in yeah. motion and it was pretty she creepy because
6: <laughs> yeah
0: right yeah. i know man it was really it was really crazy that was definitely
1: a, a little bit a mini dose i will tell you some inside scoop brett if you like that interaction the only reason we released that when we did is because it was already you know it was already live streamed and and it was going to be picked up on anyway in the news um we were they're filming for our our movie and so we we wanted not to just release content immediately we wanted to be saved for our film um so there are many other interactions of abby confronting different uh, members of congress and uh governor u.s governors about this climate issue but those are on the shelf to be in our film and so if you like the pelosi interaction there's some other there's some other hard ones too but uh you know we released that just because of the the nature of what happened and we knew it was going to be a story regardless of whether or not we released it so wanted to get ahead of it
0: brett what's going on right now with uh with corbin and your efforts over there i just really tragic to kind of look at his legacy and think he could have you know look what we could have had (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, I mean, well, as you saw, like the smear mm, yeah. campaign worked on him. I mean, it, they. I mean, I, I, I only met him briefly at uh, COP26. Actually, I mean, this is the this is how this guy is. Right, we're we're in the middle of his own event. Someone comes up to me and says, "Brett, can you come?" It's raining. It's Scotland as usual. Um, <laughs> and Someone comes up to me because I was I was uh, a volunteer there. I was doing I was running tea. I was helping out with sound. I was helping out with but they asked me, can you come and hold her umbrella for, um, a cameraman? Cause we, he's, he, he's heard about a strike for refuge for workers that's, and they're, they're, uh, in Glasgow Square at the moment, um, uh, on the, on a rally. So he stopped everything he's doing and jumps in a van. I jump in a van with the cameraman as well. And he's talking about everything. He goes and spends time, talks to the, all these people here, all these workers, normal people, respectfully. They all know that they can approach him and speak to him as a normal man. And then he does a Mm -hmm. quick interview for BBC that were there at the time, jumps back in, then comes back and speaks to people from, I think he's talked to uh, refugees who were over, talking about um, the impact of uh, climate change on him. So that's the breath of mouth. He seems really authentic. The man is a real man. He's not a liar. And he's never, I've never seen him ever. I can't ask people, can you prove to me? Or show me any evidence of where he said or done anything that's anti-Semitic. Because that's what I get hit with first. Oh, you're a Jeremy Corbyn, you're anti anti semitic Straight away, that's what I get hit with, uh, with 50% of people. No,
0: it's literally if you just humanize Palestine, you're an anti-Semite. I mean, let's face it, 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 what happened to him was grotesque. It was shameful. It was shameful, and he just seems like the most authentic, down-to-earth guy who, like you just said, he's accessible, he's willing to talk to anyone. The fact that he even went to that alternative people's you know, version of COP26 I thought was really meaningful, no, and it, it really his, just says it all about who this guy is.
4: It, it was his. It was him who was running it. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Oh, his project. So oh my God. This guy's not stopped. Even though they've they've kicked him out of the Labour Party or suspended him mm-hmm. because he's gone the anti-war route, which also I've signed the petition. I've argued with people over for basically we should be negotiating peace talks, not you know spending billions on trying to keep this war going and wrecking Ukraine and mainly you know because we all know this is a this is a, you know you know he's a puppet. He's fighting on behalf of American interests to try and weaken Russia. I mean, it's being spoke about now. We're just seeing a, a, um, a speech by uh, Claire Daly in the Irish. Uh, uh, Irish she's awesome, M. man. She's awesome. She's awesome, awesome to see her speech in Parliament. Hell yeah, I did, it says dude. it all. Pardon?
0: I said, hell yeah, I did. She's badass. Yeah, yeah. Love that woman. Yeah, she,
4: she's the only one who's actually talking the truth. And she says it in such a way that, oh yeah, I mean, I wish I could be so. Some of these people just, do, you know, I just wish I could be as authentic as they are and say what they say, i get all mixed up sometimes and a bit cuttied. You <laughs> know what yeah, I mean? I you, but when man. they do it, it just comes out naturally and you you know, like, yes, see, that's the truth. That That's genuine, but people don't... I, I, I don't understand it here in the UK sometimes. Genuine people just don't seem to come across for some reason. Yeah,
0: Mike, Mike. It's Claire disgusting Daly's one what's was, to Jeremy.
4: Um, it sorry, is.
0: Sorry. Oh, I was just going to remind Mike, Claire Daly's the one who I was telling you about who was like, oh, should we put a little leprechaun on and, and you know, like do a jig for Obama. She was like all like protesting how Obama's like a war criminal and all this stuff. And she was like, You guys just wanna like you know, like exploit the Irish culture and do a jig for Obama. It was like so Irish like baby. dude, she dude, she is badass, man. Um I would I would dream to talk to her, let's let's wrap it up. Um, you know, I want to now that you're talking about Europe. Thank you so much for calling, man. I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Uh, you rock, and uh, keep it up, man. You're very inspiring. You too, I too. wanted to just Pleasure. mention. Thank you so much for calling. I wanted to mention Assange before we take um, another caller here, and we're going to take your call in just a second here, but I have to get this in. I mean, just a really dark day for press freedom, you guys. Uh, The fact that, you know, Julian Assange's brother and father were at the People's Summit in Los Angeles, I finally got a chance to meet both of them. And it's just tragic that, you know, days later, the news, the hammer, the gauntlet comes down, um, that the UK basically just ruled in favor of extradition. I think that, sadly, we knew that this was coming. I did not have high hopes, but there was a glimmer of hope, you know, as there always should be that things will be different. And I just saw Stella Morris, his wife, you know, mother of his two young boys give a very, very heartfelt emotional testimony of just how, you know, how horrific it is that Julian Assange is now going to be extradited to the very country that hunted him down, planned his assassination. This wasn't just about putting him in prison. They wanted to actually initially kill him And you know Hillary Clinton joked
1: facing 175 years.
0: 175 year jail term for what? What officially? No, this has nothing to do with the election of Trump. This has everything to do with the Iraq war logs. And if you go back to every single thing that has motivated and really, you know, the anti-war movement has really coalesced around in the wake of 9/11, all of these revelations came from WikiLeaks, Guantanamo Bay. You know, the initial 150 prisoners that were rounded up. Completely fucking innocent. He exposed that. Collateral murder. He exposed that. Grani massacre in Afghanistan. He exposed that. And really so much of what we go through with Earth's Greatest Enemy, you know, Shell in Nigeria. I mean, so much. It's like, I basically almost every single thing that has to do with U.S. war crimes and CIA, like, barbarism comes back back to leaked cables from one thing or another you know whistleblowers who who gave WikiLeaks these unfiltered documents um and it's just an absolute tragedy i mean this is it's a travesty and this is setting a very dark precedent because this is a publisher again i think that um this is this is very important to say that this is not like chelsea manning who is the whistleblower of course she should not be persecuted for exposing war crimes at all or john karyaku same thing this is the person who who published the leaks all of them valid all of them true all of them warranted punishing and criminalizing the war criminals the torturers the murderers and so you know to actually prosecute the man who published these things and expose them to the world is an ap- absolute um Horse show and so i don't know i mean i just i don't know what's going to happen of course they're going to appeal it but they're not going to stop they're not going to stop because they want to set a precedent they they never want another wikileaks to exist and they've made that very clear and sadly the almost the entirety of the beltway press has just attached themselves to the narrative that julian assange is not a journalist right and that he deserves to be criminalized And that him being locked up in an embassy for several years of his life reduced to like a shell of his former self. That was all warranted and just and they all laughed it all away and excused it because of whatever the fuck happened with Assange and Trump. But I think at the same time, Assange would have published whatever was given to him, you know, like that. That's the whole problem. It's like people want to apply a partisan lens to Assange and whatever. And sure. I'm sure that he had some sort of glimmer of hope of Trump pardoning him, just like a lot of Trump fans did. Sadly, the Hopium was injected, they really fucking promoted Trump and lauded Trump, and just, to the very end, that carrot on a stick told people that he was gonna pardon Assange. No, instead he just pardoned all the fucking war criminals from the Iraq War. How dare you legitimize Trump? Donald Trump, the guy who said that Julian Assange should be killed! I will I will never forgive people for doing that. So it's really unfortunate that this is now what people are left with instead of this horrific assault on press freedom and democracy essentially and the fact that um you know the US basically has the right to hunt down people who are exposing their their war crimes. It's a very very scary scary fucking thing. I mean this is this is where we're at, you know, and are we surprised? No, of course not, but it It doesn't make it any less scary and it doesn't make it any less dangerous for journalism across the world reporting on the crimes of empire which is what we do mike um and we will continue to do this um you know dedicating of course all of this project to julian assange and beyond all the journalists who are killed and prosecuted for doing their job and I just hope that we can somehow galvanize a movement to free Assange eventually, because we know that it doesn't matter who is president. It doesn't matter if it's Biden. It doesn't matter if it's Governor DeSantis. If there's a broad enough movement and a coalition that's strong enough to pressure the hand of power, that will happen. You know, it's happened before, and we can do it again. And um, we really have to kind of wake up to what's going on here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was was just a just duping everyone i mean trump really cynically exploited popularity of assange because he exposed the dnc cables and all that stuff and so you know people on in trump's base really liked that i mean everyone really liked that um especially people in trump's base so he he pandered to that you know he hinted that he could pardon him for doing this or that uh, to help him and and things like that uh but you know he was never going to do it and actually even when he ended up not pardoning assange in his last all his like final pardons which was a lot he did a lot of pardons of all the like slimiest most fucked up people including as you mentioned abby all the war criminals who were exposed by assange like the worst offenders i mean people who just straight up executed innocent people like with their hands tied behind their backs and mutilated their bodies like they all were freed by trump so actually the exact opposite of pardoning assange is not only not pardoning assange but pardoning the people the types of crimes that were exposed by julian assange And then after Trump failed to do that, there was this, all the people that had been claiming that he was going to pardon Assange the whole time, uh, were like, oh, he got blocked from doing it. It wasn't his fault. Like he wanted to, but he couldn't. And then Trump came out and was like, I did not want to pardon Assange. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Candace Owens was like, why didn't you do this? And he was like,
0: I didn't, I didn't want it. (laughs) And I was like, all right, now will you guys believe, like, will you take Trump at his word?
1: Nobody stopped him. He just did not want to fucking do it because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, And he wanted to pardon all the fucking war criminals uh, because he likes that a lot of people were murdered in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and now, and you're going to see this more if Trump's going to run again, but many of the people who were trying to do that carried on a stick, like Trump might pardon Assange, don't criticize Trump because he, he's our best hope of pardoning Assange. A lot of those people are now saying that if Trump wins again, he's going to pardon Assange. Yeah, now the he best really ho- will. The best hope for Assange is getting Trump reelected. elected Didn't Sagar so can...
0: and Jetty say that?
1: He did. And nice. uh, I think other people are going to be saying it too, or if they have not already. Or at least hinting or alluding yeah, to the fact dude. that that might be possible. But I don't know. That,
0: that, I think that like, made me more angry than like, anything. <laughs> I mean, of course, a lot of stuff that Trump did really pissed me off. But like that was really made me irate, man. And just the whole cover for his foreign policy being like, he's anti-war, he's anti-establishment. It's like, I mean, that's what we tried to do this whole term, Mike. We didn't skip a beat. We kept covering Trump's war crimes. But it, I think we knew from the get because Trump oversaw the initial extradition. <laughs> yeah. of, like, he Jeez. oversaw. Yeah, he's the reason Assange <laughs> right, right, is in the position right now. Right. And, and people were like, oh, no, he's playing 5D chess and this is like the long con and <laughs> no, the long Trump game. And then he's eventually, it.
1: it's like, no, 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 no. Like, please, open your eyes man yep, yep no they just yeah no a. what a piece of shit um and uh i had something else to say about the oh yeah no but you're right abby like we know when all of the like hope that like if we did all this stuff to like get trump to pardon assange like why should that be gone right now like there's why is it less likely that assange could get a pardon from biden than from trump i mean in fact there's probably a A greater likelihood that that's winnable if there's enough of a movement built around to pardon assange i mean obama was pressured into um commuting the sentence of chelsea manning who supplied the documents that were leaked by assange and nobody thought that that was possible but um it showed that there's maybe people in the democratic party are more susceptible to being called out as hypocrite for repressing press freedom and exposing war crimes and all of that stuff the republicans people like trump they don't give a shit i mean they are proud of war crimes that that's like part of their image um the democrats of course are just as bad on on war but they want to play the game of pretending that they're better and so that's something that's exploitable in trying to get assange pardon the republicans are just unabashedly like yeah fuck them string them up hang them we don't care you know like they're except the ones that want to like feed into different right-wing audiences just for like you know lip service when the, it's act- not actually backed by anything um but people shouldn't just be totally demoralized that nothing can happen i mean pe- there is still uh, actions that the the coalition to free assange is pushing for still pushing for pardon still pushing for like all these different measures and so people shouldn't feel like there's nothing that they can do and that uh, especially the people who felt that once Trump was out, that all of the hope ended of, of Assange being free. That's well, not especially true at all.
0: because Obama commuted Chelsea's sentence, and that was not because Obama wanted to; is because he was forced to. Right. I mean, there was a huge movement around freeing Chelsea Manning, and even though Obama oversaw her torture in solitary, he still commuted her sentence, and she mm-hmm. would have been in prison today, right? If it weren't for that, um, yep. let's take uh, another call or two before we continue discussing all the crazy yeah shit let's, that's take going let's take a few let's take
1: a few because we got seven on the line so we just trying to get it. through some
0: mahad and let's um let's keep uh questions and comments like two minutes or less just so yeah yeah we can get to everyone
1: mahad where are you calling from where are you right now
7: hello hello guys i'm coming to the, from seattle washington where where it, where the elected officials claim to be progressive but they're actually you neoliberals know, unfortunately so like i've been an activist for a couple of years Ever since the global BLM movement, I've been fighting for an immigrant rights. And uh, can I mention uh, the one moment that dosed me?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
7: okay with you guys within the next two minutes.
0: Hell yeah. Absolutely.
7: Is there any way to. All right.
0: Are you um, on speaker by any chance or like outside?
7: Yeah. Uh, I'm on the train right now. Oh, okay. No oh, worries then. To, like, uh, Seattle.
0: Oh, no worries, dude. That makes, that makes sense. We support you taking the train. So yeah. are not going to cut you that off. That makes sense, man. Okay. Yeah. Go for it.
7: all right thank you so basically uh when i i was fighting for immigrant rights for the past couple of years and then when i started listening to your guys's program i thought to myself wait a minute don't wonder why in there so many immigrants and refugees are coming to this country because their countries were destroyed by either the u.s or the u.s's allies so basically like i thought to myself, hey. In order to be anti-racist, I got to be anti-imperialist as well. So basically, like, uh, I started, like, participating in a couple of protests for immigrant rights, and I joined an immigrant-led organization called One America, which is based here in Seattle. it's an immigrant-led human rights organization, and it's the largest in the state of Washington. And so basically, uh, I I fought so hard to pass uh, legislation called Language Access in Public Schools, which allows immigrants... Uh, refugees to basically uh, better see how their child is performing at school, especially those with disabilities. Before this bill's passage, like, uh, I heard a story, I heard a, a story from uh, a Latina mother who wanted her, wanted her school's principal to translate something into like Spanish. And then the guy was all like, this is American. We speak English, English, English. And that really wanted me to jump in into this fight for immigrant rights. So basically like uh after listening to your guys' program program, uh I thought to myself, this country needs to recognize its goal in creating refugees through its historic foreign policy. And uh I'm doing the steps I'm doing I'm taking the steps to really educate people about what's going on and I'm even showed people showed a couple of my friends your program and like how amazing you guys are. I just wanted to say thank you for uh, thank you for and uh, doing this and educating the people of this country to like to know to ensure like uh, to really educate them about these issues because it's about damn time someone shows this country what it's really doing around the world and how it's creating refugees. So thank you, Abby and Mike.
0: Mahara, it's an extreme honor to hear that and that it helped inspire your activism. And I just really appreciate all the kind words and all of your energy being put toward education Mm -hmm. and linking these struggles together, because that is a huge vacuum of, you know, with kind of more well-intentioned liberals fighting for immigrant rights and not tying together our horrific and barbaric foreign policy that is causing the influx of refugees into this country more and more from these regions, war zones, etc. Yeah. Especially economic ruin that we're leaving these countries in. Mahad, I really appreciate that. Mike, did you have anything to add? Yeah, man, that, that's so fucking awesome to hear that. And we just really appreciate you. Thank you so much.
7: Yes, thanks, Abby. And as this, I'm saying this as the son of a refugee from Somalia. Mm. We had to flee her country in the mid-90s. And my family was scattered all over the world. They are not just here in the U.S., but they're in Alexa, Europe, Alexa. Africa, West Asia, Australia, etc. So they're they're fleeing all over the world within a matter of months and years. And so, like, we need to educate, and as we move forward, we need to ensure that like immigrants and refugees get the necessary resources in this country. Because, like I said earlier, this country needs to recognize its role in creating refugees through its historic policy, and. Uh, I
2: want
0: to thank you guys for educating people on that. Thank you so much, Mahat. I think, you know, no one wants to leave their home. No one wants to leave Uh, everything they know, their language, their culture, their family. And how dare you think that this is a choice? It's horrific to have families forcibly split up because of you know, ripple effects of this disastrous foreign policy that's perpetrated in our names and it has to be stopped, Mahad. And that starts with education and your efforts are are yeah. greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for calling in. Keep up the great work.
1: We really appreciate
0: I you. I
7: want to hear from Mike though. I heard yeah, mostly Mike. from you. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Let's do it, Mike. What's up, Mike?
1: Go What's ahead, up, Mahad? Now that's my favorite kind of dose moment that uh you got went over the line of being an anti imperialist and realizing that you got a link link things together, things that seem like they're, quote-unquote, domestic issues. You know, there's no such thing as yeah. just a domestic issue. They're linked to our foreign policy, our military budget, what we do around the world. It, it's, it is all, every in every way, a part of, of what happens here, which is, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the the interconnectedness and the, the international nature of our struggle and the things that we want to see in the world um, that we want to see it's a it's a collective effort of all people um yeah and there's actually a we had plan to talk about something later in the show in reference to your it's not just refugees fleeing the disastrous impacts of u.s economic and military warfare that is is a huge problem and tragedy uh but what they face once they get to the united states is absolutely not easy yeah. and fascistic even and so we have a we have a story that we're going to get to about that so thank you for bringing up that topic because we're going to expand on it a little more um once we take some All more definitely. calls Mohan well, thanks and, thanks, and yeah, yeah, yeah and uh please join us again sometime Love oh, your call.
7: and before i go like yeah uh, i recently heard of this uh, former teacher her name is stephanie Gallardo, and she's running for congress in washington's ninth congressional district which is currently held by like someone adam smith I don't know if that name rings the bell to you guys, but like he's the chair of the Armed House Armed Services Committee and he was responsible for the largest military budget in this country's history. And so like, uh, when I heard about Stephanie Gallardo and her plan to like really lower this country's military budget, I said, I'm in, I'm in. (laughs) Like, do everything you can to really lower our military budget. Because, uh, like I said, it, it takes all of us, you know? To really create the change that we've been fighting for in our country and globally even and uh and hopefully she wins her primary is in early august and i hope she wins
1: thank you mahad for bringing that up if you're in the area check her out mahad appreciate you for calling in and thank you hank we got you on the line where are you hey
8: hank? we met before at the young turks where i used to work i don't know if you're picking me up oh, oh yo nice. what's
1: up hank yeah
8: yeah it's been hey. a long, long time. I, 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 don't expect you to remember at all. But uh, you guys had nice vibes, so I can, I can vouch for your in-person personas as well as your, <laughs> your, uh, your content.
1: We want, we really want to hear all your compliments of us. But you still are cutting <laughs> in and out, <laughs> which Shit. is very sad because you got some great things to say. I know, and
0: you sound let, let so clear. Otherwise, how's,
8: how's that? Is that any better?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
8: Okay. Yes, you guys have. Uh, so go, good, back to, go back to, go back, s- go back to telling us how cool we are. good. good how much five, you like us? I'd say uh, the uh, great foot size, wonderful proportion, just uh, nice, nice folks.
0: That's what I like to hear. Everything's proportional.
8: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll be quick, though. I know you got a lot of callers. I'd love to talk a lot. I can ramble forever if you let me. But, uh, I was dosed uh, throughout my whole life, raised uh, with a conservative dad uh Not particularly like um um like political household, but like I got a shot done for Christmas when I was thirteen years old Oof. so i've I've been on a journey to like raging burn it all down communists right now, so it's kind of nice I've, I've been i've been overdosed is what I would say. Um, <laughs> but uh one big one recently, and then i'm going <laughs> to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this real quick. Then I'll ask you a question about a different topic, and then you and I think it might connect to American narcissism. Your story coming up. Mm. Um, so I was I was very much dosed towards like labor and labor activism uh, when I was working at the Young Turks. When I helped start the union there, I was part of the organizing group. That uh, and then it was met with like ridiculous union busting. Uh, that that kind of got uh, overshadowed by COVID, and you know news and stuff. So it, it never really uh, popped off in a big way. Although some you know plenty of people have noticed it. But uh, yeah, that was an interesting uh, experience for me, in terms oh, wow. of like my perception of uh, of worker workers versus bosses. And so that's a big part of my worldview these days.
1: Did you ever work with uh, Taylor Gill?
8: I lo- I was going to mention him. He's a pal. I love him. He's such a good. That's pal. our guy. I- i know he I
1: edited Gaza effects
0: oh yeah you you knew about the He worked. Well, yeah he was, was our editor for I, Fet- Fet- I saw, Fet- that, I saw <laughs> his name
8: in the credits and i was like that's my taylor, okay, I, taylor. I worked on the go 90 uh, documentary a little bit i do graph i do graphics animation and video i'm a video editor oh wow and uh, as confident as i am i uh, i would aspire to taylor's skill so yeah give him a raise pay him more oh, right.
1: we uh, we wanted to hire him for our new movie but he's i guess uh More enticed by traveling around the world on this cool job he has right now, going to all types of amazing places all the time. I know, right? I know, know, right? He
0: doesn't want to sit in this.
1: (laughs) He (laughs) He doesn't doesn't want to go back to the Gaza movie (laughs) experience of being locked in a tiny office with five people watching yeah, for,
8: horrific footage yeah, 24 right. 7
1: footage of people <laughs> just getting shot in the head over and over again
8: jesus christ uh yeah that is one of the like you know the marks uh the uh, facebook does that to their workers that have to screen you know um the terrible uh you know for the all the awful awful stuff that's, that's what we there. did to taylor yeah exactly. yeah i've experienced that i don't <was> <laughs> Um, I wasn't calling to try to get a job, but if you're hiring, by <laughs> hey man, um, shoot honestly, me a DM and yeah, shoot no. me a call and DM.
0: No, we're serious. Yeah, we'd love to. Well, see I'm open yourself. to it.
8: I'm actually um, a little wounded from a. Uh, I was doing woodworking and now I'm out of work because my my arms gave out. A vibration. Oh. Well, uh, we need someone.
1: We need someone who can use their arms. Unfortunately,
8: <laughs> no, our arms work, oh. but just not for rubbing. Oak. Oh,
1: cool. Yeah. <laughs>
8: Um, th- I've been editing a lot actually, I still have a lot of skills in the editing, but anyway, let me, uh, we could talk about that another time. And I'd love to tell you more about the young Turks union busting. Cause it was freaking vicious. He was mm-hmm. a politician at the time and they accused us of being in a conspiracy with Nancy Pelosi and, and the Democrats. It was just wild, just a really weird, very unique because most bosses aren't politicians. Um, right. So anyway, uh, the, uh, the question I have and then I'll get off the line is uh, this story uh, was on uh, Twitter. It's not a big deal, but it was about a guy who like wasted like two hundred thousand dollars defending his right to fly the American flag in his like little enclave community. Like it, it violated the, the HOA rules. Um, so I, I'm not asking you about your opinion about him, but it made me think about the Pledge of Allegiance and just how utterly madness and, and, and wild it is that we brainwash our children in this country and the lifelong effects of the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, like it just imbues people with this, re, like a, you know, childhood level, which means like operating code, you know, like deep, deep core feelings about the flag that are implanted with ritualistic chanting against their will, and also how that would connect to um, the what you might call it, the pledge, uh, the, um, ple- the uh, what's the singing one. There oh, the go. national anthem! <laughs> yes, that one, that one. It, so I just thought maybe you guys could have some commentary on like just um the the pledge of allegiance and just how I mean I, that's not done in other countries, right? Like that's just uh, everyone's got like a national
1: something. anthem. Everyone's definitely got a national anthem, but definitely not in school. You have to pledge right. your allegiance and so. hand but. to
0: God. Pledge of, and, and what's funny, Mike, I mean, you probably know the, the history better than I do, that it's all based on anti-communism. Well, adding the under-God was.
1: The Pledge of Allegiance oh, was a thing before, and then it. during the big Red Scare in the 50s, that's when they added under-God to the Pledge of Allegiance, because it was differentiating ourselves from the godless communists, because communists are predominantly atheists, and so it was to differentiate the U.S. as a as a god-loving Christian country from the godless, heathen atheist communist around the world. Um but yeah I mean I I'm glad you brought it up I mean the pleasure leadership is fucking weird. Um I mean it, and especially because like it's not a thing you do as adults you know, there's no f- setting as adults where you have to say the pledge yeah, of allegiance, is. which shows in it's Tulsi about-
0: Gabbard's campaign. Oh my events. god, you're
1: right! Every yeah. Tulsi Gabbard campaign event started with standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. It was the only time outside of fucking elementary school <laughs> that you had to stand and put your hand on the heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Is there any other place you have to say the Pledge of Allegiance other than elementary and middle and high school and Tulsi Gabbard campaign events? I
8: think maybe I'm uh, wrong, but. I think it's some like uh, like bureaucratic municipal environment. So I've, I've heard of it being done huh. before city. I
1: mean, never the military. It never. I never did it once in the military. There is something oh, okay. very creepy about it. It's very like um, like what we
0: cartoonishly are told is like DPRK level. Like everyone right. in unison chanting this bizarre thing. Yeah. Like you know and. I mean, also just the military fetishism, like just the the fact that militarism is like so hardly pressed on across all aspects of American culture is very like, it's like totally pure projection when people are like, oh, this is like China. It's like, no, this is like
1: a purely American phenomenon. Why do you have to like We got some more info in the chat here. Turkey, I guess, has a similar pledge of allegiance in school. Ah. Uh, In India... Uh, their national anthems are played in the morning, which national anthem, I guess, isn't as weird. And we got a friend, Matt, who says the Florida DMV makes you say the Pledge of Allegiance before you get your driver's license. What the fuck? Wait a minute. that That's bonkers. Yeah. In I, order to drive, you must pledge your allegiance.
8: I'm predicting more of it, though. I bet you they're going to start expanding that as the fascists take power. And uh, mm. it's pretty scary. And Tulsi was raised in a cult, so it's no wonder that she understands mm-hmm. brainwashing. Uh, and Still finally, in I'll, it. I'll, off, I'll hang up now, I'll, and I'll take your answer off the air. I've always wanted to say that, by the way. Um, <laughs> your, uh, how would you feel with your kid uh, getting going into school eventually and having to do it? because the peer pressure and the social pressure is tremendous to if you sit down for the national anthem you might get beat up or if you've refused mm-hmm. i've heard of that you know so anyway what do you think about that and i'll hang up now and, and thanks for putting up with all my bullshit thanks guys
0: thank you rock please uh, contact us afterward i'd love to talk to you more um mike why don't you tell your story about how you were you were one of those kids okay. who actually refused wait was i didn't you tell me that you were like some godless um oh, like not commie heard, but I, um, you were
1: i organized against these like weird prayer things That had to happen in school, Uh, so that was not related to the Pledge of Allegiance. But there is like, um, I I went to school in high school in Florida, where it was like a very Christian area, and there'd be these like big, giant prayer things that we would all have to kind of be. What do you mean? Uh, I don't. It would be like this morning ritual of like everyone like praying around the flagpole, which was also part of the like patriot. It was like this Christian patriot, the pledge of allegiance. Yeah, everyone would would stand around the flagpole and hold hands around the flagpole and do these like big prayers. And I was like, I was like a militant. I had just become like a militant atheist. I mean, this is in like the late '90s when like that was like a became like a thing you know and um so yeah I, I organized with other people who were mad about it to like say that you shouldn't be able to do to do these big flagpole prayers at the beginning of school but um but yeah i guess and i wouldn't do that now but it was just my my teen angst and anger yeah at, uh, i
0: mean um, the, the thing about right. the thing about our kid it's like yeah i don't i don't know what to do i mean i feel like we should let him figure that out because i feel like he's just gonna rebel if we're
1: like don't stand
0: do not stand for the pledge of allegiance refuse (laughs) and then it's gonna be like
1: you know so um, just being honest about what all this stuff means and how weird it is yeah and it's just like yeah just
0: do whatever you want man but just know that it's super
1: creepy andrew you're next on the line what's up where are you calling from
9: Hi. Hey, uh I'm calling from Amanalco de Becerra, which is in Mexico State. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also originally from Seattle, so I wanted to say what's up to Mahad. Um Yeah, I I think that Assange like the prosecution, I've heard people say that the maybe the administration won't want to go through with it because oh wait, can you both hear me? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, it went like extra quiet, and sometimes the power goes out here, so I got a little. Um, but yeah, the, um, the 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 narrative has been like, oh, maybe the Biden administration or whichever administration wants Assange to permanently stay in the UK in limbo, so that we don't have to, you know, have any reports of him dying in a U.S. prison here. Um, but I think that like the government's desire to enact. Punishment on anybody who really makes a significant challenge to their um, to their ability to operate in secrecy and and makes a dent in some of the propaganda that makes people think that America is this exceptional or at least like morally permissible country. I think that their desire to enact revenge is greater. And a story from Seattle when I in my I'm pretty young, so my freshman year of college was uh, 2014 2015. Um, and I was going to the University of Washington and my second quarter there, the, 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 there's a center for human rights, uh, that's a part of one of the departments at UW and the, the, the center there and the director had been involved in a number of lawsuits, I think just two with the CIA because they had, uh, done FOIA requests for, um, the CIA's information on their complicity with the, the death squads in El Salvador and Guatemala. And they had the FOIA request and the CIA just refused to give up any documentation. And so they sued them, I think once to actually get the documentation and then again to, um, to deal with some of the really heavy reactions that they did. And when they actually won that lawsuit about a week or two later, there was a break in at the Center for Human Rights and somebody stole the hard drive of the director's computer um and it's not like it was irreplaceable information to the Center for Human Rights but it meant that the whoever broke in pretty pretty fucking sure that was the CIA um they have all of the information the names and video and audio of people in El Salvador and Guatemala testifying for this project to kind of reveal U.S. complicity in war crimes there, so they had the ability to to enact reprisals, um, and then you see like putting Nina Jankowicz as the the head of the disinformation board, or this uh, kind of Paul these leaks about Paul Mason's emails with British intelligence people, and in their efforts to attack the gray zone, it seems like any um, publication, any release of information that could give people a accurate perspective of what the u.s does abroad um that just has to be stopped for them at all costs and i think you know i think the gray zone seems to have a better track record with their um with their with protecting their sources than for instance the intercept which also is kind of trying to portray itself as a a safe haven for leakers um so i think if there's if there's anyone who's effectively challenging you know, the, the total dominance of the U S narrative of our own foreign policy agenda. I think that person's going to be gone. So I just, I just hope um, I, I I agree with you all. I agree with what other people in the sort of left media sphere have said, where we need to be organizing protests at the congressional buildings. We need to be having the phone lines completely jammed up of all the representatives. We can, we got to be shutting shit down uh, in, in less civil ways than that as well. Um, but even regardless, I'm not really sure that that will actually save Julian. Um, Mm -hmm. and then that, that's a sad place to be, but I guess like the one thing, um, is that he would be like a martyr. I mean, he already is kind of a martyr, but I think, um, I think that the reason, you know, the reason that the Romans ultimately had to accept or had to kind of co-opt, um, what was a radical Jewish reform movement in and make it into Catholicism. The state religion was because by killing Jesus, they, uh, they were like, ah, oh, fuck, we just made this guy more famous so <laughs> and, I, and I, look at like, him now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really hope that doesn't happen, but I, I don't have a whole lot of reasons to think it won't. So I guess what we yeah. should be doing is making as much noise as humanly possible to stop that and then in in some eventuality where, where either Julian is just in prison forever or actually is murdered by the state, I think we need to do everything we can to put wind into our sails with that instead of just being like, well, fuck, nobody should ever try.
0: Totally. I mean, you brought up a lot of salient and really excellent points there and um, we, we do need to keep making noise and that's really all we can do is is keep going we cannot stop and we cannot let the chilling effect take root and prevent us from doing our the work and doing the job that needs to be done and we know how they operate now they did it to Julian of course they're doing it to Julian in a much more extreme way because it's criminalizing journalism but before they did that they tried to demonize him smear him and marginalize him across you know through the through the mechanisms of the media and propaganda and it worked in in droves I mean I'd say probably half the people you pull off the streets today will just be like oh like he's this and that and it's like no this is this is crazy and so this is an effect of this hybrid warfare that they deploy um, to people like me I mean they don't need to arrest me and lock me up because they can just marginalize me and make me seem like a cartoon you know and and The same with all the other people who are doing the kind of reporting that I I'm doing. They just pick the most sensational things that you've said over the course of your entire career, and of course, you know, the first thing on Wikipedia is just whatever the corporate news aggregates are, and of course, we know what the corporate news does and what picture it paints, and so it's just a, a very easy way to smear and marginalize people and have them not be taken seriously, and so basically, your persona non grata to the vast majority of like the American public. And so you're siloed off already to a very small minority of people who understand that you you know you do good work, and so it, it's a tough road ahead, especially with the absence, uh, you know, inability to get on sort of mainstream networks, the just straight up cancellation, right, and censorship that's happening across social media platforms. And the um, shadow banning and all of that. And so that's what we're gonna see happen more and more because they're not going to like eliminate the First Amendment. that they need to herald this as like some sort of beacon, you know, to make America seem exceptional. And so they're just going to keep doing these insidious ways to tamp down on people like Julian Assange and mechanisms or outlets that do tell these uncomfortable truths. And they will continue to do that. And that's why we have to, keep going and we have to keep organizing outside of these structures and there's really and i I know it's very like abstract to say that but this people's summit really gave me hope that we can do it
1: and that we have to do it andrew thanks so much for your call let's get a woman on the line
6: wait a minute i want a woman woman, woman, woman. (laughs) gender equality here maybe i don't
1: but You're on the line. Come off mute. Tell us where you're calling from. Oh, maybe I don't.
2: Oh, there
10: you are.
1: Hey. Can you hear
2: me? Hi. Um, It's Donna. I just wanted
6: to.
2: Yes, Donna. Um, I'm calling from San Francisco right now. Let me know if you guys can hear me clearly because my phone has some water damage. Crystal clear (laughs) for now. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to thank you guys for everything that you do. Speaking the truth, you're so inspiring to me and I'm really excited to share my dosed moment with you. Um, it happened, (laughs) it happened, um, when I was eight years old in 2006, I'm Lebanese and Palestinian by the way. So I appreciate all your work that you've done in the middle East. Um, I was in Lebanon in 2006 during the Lebanese-Israeli War, and that started July 12th. I got into Lebanon um, a few days before that war started, and I was with my five-year-old brother and my mom, and we're from the southern part of Lebanon in this village called El Khim and it actually borders Palestine, and you can see this huge, massive, ugly wall that Israel has built, and our mourning kind of started off to like rumbling and the sounds of bombs and I was terrified and my mom she had already figured out what had happened because the southern part of Lebanon is no stranger to Israel and its brutality that it has unleashed um in the 80s Israel had occupation over Lebanon and my mom was living in the southern part of Lebanon at that time and I remember her telling me stories of you know, the elderly people that did not want to leave their homes um, in that southern part of Lebanon and the IDF would force them out of their homes, line them up and just gun them down like right there in front of their homes, in front of people in the village. So it's just really like nasty and brutal. And experiencing this at such a young age, eight years old, like I never in a million years would have thought that's how my life would have been. And that's what I would envision i've always thought of Lebanon as like my second home um this kind of crazy wild country but it just still feels so warm at the same time and this war ended up being 34 days long 1300 Lebanese citizens were murdered by israel and over a million displaced um can you still hear me oh yeah okay i'm just hearing a lot of like noise in the background just want to make sure uh, and only a hundred people from the Israeli side were killed by you know the Lebanese army. Israel had about 15,000 people in the IDF fighting this war, and Lebanon only had a thousand people fighting the war and I would wake up in the morning hearing planes. Flying over our home, dropping bombs wherever they wanted. And they specifically targeted bridges, freeways, and um, any exit that would take you to the airport. They didn't want anyone flying in and out of Lebanon. They didn't want anyone taking any bridges to get away. It was very strategic and so scary. And as I started growing up, um, I paid more attention to, you know, news and what's happening in Lebanon and Palestine. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, it's kind of
0: mm-hmm. loud. And uh, so don't worry you know, about growing,
2: it. It's just really hard to talk about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. Um, yeah, just growing up, it, I wanted to be really involved in journalism and you know sharing the truth with my friends and my peers. Coming back from that experience, I had to take a military ship, a USS Tennessee ship to Cyprus to escape Lebanon. And I never felt guilt at the age of just leaving and abandoning my family that resides in Lebanon up until recently. I think when I turned 20, I started becoming a little bit more um, into very vocal activism through social media and just in the towns and cities that I'm in. And I have this really heavy guilt of just abandoning my family and having them just go through this war and, you know, these tragedies every single day. And fast forward to now, Lebanon is going through an extreme inflation. And the port had recently exploded a few years ago, which I have my own conspiracies that, you know, Israel is to blame for that. And... Currently today, Israel is threatening Lebanon for war because they are trying to access the petroleum gas that is in the ocean on the Lebanese side of um, of the ocean, their territory. So they're trying to mine that that gas out and they're threatening to go to war with Lebanon. And guess who's mediating this whole entire situation? The U.S. (laughs) So it's, you know, I'm. I really want people to talk about this. I don't hear a lot about Lebanon, um, in the news. I don't hear a lot of people talking about Lebanon. And up until recently, I haven't heard a lot of people speak out on Palestine. And I'm so glad that you guys have, you know, established this platform and you're speaking to people and you're educating people and you're showing them the truth because it is so ugly. The truth is so damn ugly and no one wants to see it. No one wants to hear it. Um, if you have any advice on how to expand and get into the industry where I can, you know, speak publicly and get into journalism a little bit more. I'm a recent graduate at Sonoma State. I graduated anthropology um, and a minor in photography. So photojournalism is like super big. And I think it's a great way to tell a story and, you know, reach millions of people.
0: Thank you so much for your calls a really it's really traumatic um, what you and your family went through. I think you know it's natural to feel guilt about that, but you can't blame yourself for having done what you did. And you know your passion is to tell that story and to relay these hard truths. And I think that you and I both know the stark reality of the journalism field today and how difficult it is to go into the field wanting to tell the truth about Israel. Um, And that's going to be a tough road ahead. And so I think you need to, you know, be aware of that and start looking for the platforms that you know that you can do that. And that's not going to be the Beltway Press. It's not going to be, you know, publications like the New York Times and the Washington Post. That's going to be the nation starting out at outlets like Truth Out, Common Dreams, Um, you know, Having graduated from Sonoma State University, of course, that's the hub of Project Censored. There's a, That's a really, really great outlet that you can get involved with because they do a show on Pacifica Radio that they're super open to hosting and platforming um, journalists and views like yours and mine. And through the Pacifica Radio Network, that's, that's how I got my start. That's how I started Media Roots and just started reporting locally in my community and building up from there. And I think that that's exactly what you need to do is start... At the citizen journalism level, and start just linking up with the grassroots um, groups that are that are really passionate about these subjects, and being their voice and uplifting their voices, and then submitting those pieces. Especially when you're talking about photojournalism, it's definitely easier to portray and relay these messages through photographs and, and video footage, and it's, it can be very powerful because you're not, you know, putting the open bias out there like I would with words. And so there's a lot of avenues that you can take. But I would definitely recommend starting there and just keep moving forward. But knowing, knowing the pushback that you will receive, because even though the consciousness is expanding, and it's on fire right now, I'd say right now, people are aware of this people are waking up. And, you know, I I think a lot more people are open to the message, but it still is going to be not well received at the top of these organizations that are you know very very strict with their narrative and with their biases and we can see that with something as clear as the murder of shireen abu akla um so so just keep going and keep fighting and keep telling those stories and people are there to receive it and people are tuning out those networks and people are opening their eyes to you know palestinian led Networks, uh, Electronic and Defada, is also a great outlet that that will host these views, and that's just a, a great place to start. Um, so I would definitely recommend going there. And and as far as covering Lebanon, you're right; it's something that needs to be talked about more, and linking all these things together. And I would recommend Rania Kalak, who's living there right now. She also has a Colin show, and she's doing great coverage. Um, so maybe we should get her on soon to to cover mm. this specifically and really expand more. On how this this fits into um, U.S. foreign policy, because a lot of people are like, "Well, why is the U.S. doing this? Why is it protecting Israel so much?" It's like, "Well, look at who it bo- look at who Israel borders." I mean, Lebanon has been a target of the U.S. empire for decades, and so it strategically uses Israel to wage all sorts of economic warfare, military warfare,
1: occupying it, occupying
0: it. it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very crucial piece of the puzzle, Dana and you know, what happened there is just absolutely horrific. And what's happening there and and what continues to happen, you know, the daily aggression and also just the aftermath of that port explosion. Um, it's just absolutely devastating. So thank you so much for, for shedding a light on that. And we're definitely going to we're definitely going to keep covering that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, while it is, I guess, harder than ever to get jobs in regular media, it's it's almost easier than ever to do media on your own. Mm-hmm. And there's so many opportunities yes. for you to start building a body of work independently. And, you know, that that is a thing that can lead to other things. But I think that becoming your own citizen journalist, as Abby likes to say, is more accessible now than ever. And we actually have a comment in the chat Speaking to that, also Ricky, oh, our friend Ricky, who designed all our Empire Files merch. Hey, Ricky, incredible artist. Check Ricky, out his I work. Ricky, I want
0: more merch, please.
1: <laughs> check out his work at Isolation USA or uh, go to empirefiles.store to check out some of the shirts he designed, if there's any left. But anyways, Ricky suggested to you, Donna, to write about your childhood experience, right? A memoir, or maybe turn it into something else, which can help with your own process, but also that being a, a really important way to start getting the story out. And um, you know, could be maybe a, a good project to start with, which sounds like something I would definitely want to read.
0: So. Yeah, like going back and documenting your family, having reliving mm. those experiences, telling those experiences in, in some sort of article, everyone, yeah. inter- photo journalism yeah. series would be a really cool way to, to initiate this. I think.
2: I know that's something I really wanted to do this summer was to go to Lebanon and see my family. But my mom has this like fear and she, she doesn't want to go. She's afraid to go Mm -hmm. back home because she keeps telling me that Lebanon is worse than it was during its civil war. Like in the eighties, Lebanon was in a much better place than it is now. And, you know, there is no physical war happening there, but the, the tensions, the energy, it feels so, like, maniacal and evil. Like, there's there's this entity that has completely taken over the people and the culture and the identity of Lebanon and the Middle East. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see so many people, and not only Lebanon, so many countries around the world going through this plague of being ripped from their homes, being ripped from their identity, and forced to... You know, pay for pay for resources that they already have. You know, the Lebanese people have are sitting on top of so much energy, are sitting on top of this oil and and this gas. Yet they don't have gas to fill up their cars. They're waiting in line four or five hours to put mm-hmm. a couple of gallons in their tank. You know, people have no access to food anymore, medicine. Like my mom would tell me that my grandmother would be dead if it weren't for us sending her money every month because of how crazy the inflation is over there. People are not able to feed themselves. My cousin who's um, working in the army, the Lebanese army, and he is a nurse for the army. He would get about, you know, 7 million lira a month, which is equivalent to about like $700 a month. And now he's making $60 a month.
1: Wow. Donna, that's wild. And we hope everyone tries to learn more about lebanon like abby said i think our best recommendation for that now is is rania's show on uh breakthrough news she does a lot of reporting on lebanon and interviews people from she's there and she also does interviews a lot of lebanese uh people in politics and academia and stuff like that and so i appreciate your call donna and getting everyone to uh try to learn more about this important keystone in the middle east and abby have something to say too
0: um yeah i wanted to um just comment on you know just refugees in general the fact that Border Patrol agents have released an unofficial challenge coin, this special edition coin commemorating their whipping of Haitian refugees on horseback. You know, that infamous photo, that horrific photo that even Biden like condemned um, that was just absolutely grotesque of that Haitian man with bags on his back being whipped. Like straight up, like cowboy style, <clears throat> like and I mean it was like cattle, basically of of this border patrol agent on horseback, and so that infamous photograph is something that apparently numerous border patrol agents are very proud of and have been secretly selling amongst themselves off eBay. On the coin, look it up; it's very alarming. It says, "Quote: Raining it in since May twenty eighth, nineteen twenty four, and yesterday's border is not today's border." so it's just horrific you know meanwhile one billion dollars more in aid was just sent to ukraine the war still rages on there and i think over 54 billion dollars probably much more when you count all the weaponry that's being pumped into this proxy war it is a proxy war That's look at what u.s officials have said on the house floor that they want to fight russia over there so they don't have to fight them here um using Ukrainian lives as cannon fodder. That's how much the U.S. cares about Ukraine, right? They want to expend as many civilian lives as possible to try to drag Russia more and more mired into this hole. Um, Look at what Hillary Clinton said. She said this is the Afghanistan model. These people are very plain and clear about what their goals are and what this is. So let's drop the pretense of humanitarianism and let's face the facts. And a a report just came out confirming what we already knew about the debilitating sanctions on Russia, that they have impacted the poorest in the country, far more than the wealthy elites who probably have most of their money offshore anyways. This is what sanctions do. This is what they're designed to do. Meanwhile, in the U.S., there's a baby formula shortage. Still, the Food and Drug Administration investigated reports that as many as nine babies have died. Mike, in the last year after consuming this baby formula produced at Abbott Nutrition plant in Michigan, seven more than previously acknowledged. Wow. They first only said two had died. And so newly released documents revealed that actually it has been nine Abbott Nutrition, of course, we know cut a lot of cost saving corners to try to produce like energy drinks or something like some fucking sugary drinks and just totally let the baby formula shit go super toxic and infected with bacteria and they still deny any culpability they still deny any deaths linked to the baby formula and they'll probably only be slapped with a tiny fine what's the company abbott nutrition which i don't know why there's like one like i don't know why they dominate the market so much why this has happened why so much of the baby formula relies on this one manufacturing plant, but it it is very alarming and I think it really speaks to the nature of how capitalism operates because they're denying culpability even after these documents came out and they're probably only gonna be slapped with a very tiny fine for the cost of doing business for the deaths of potentially more than nine babies and assholes like Pete Buttigieg keep doubling down that it's not the government's problem, Mike. This is something the market can sort out so apparently
1: apparently not
0: yeah and all these republican assholes who voted against like an emergency fund like some sort of fund, like 23 million dollars for an emergency fund to people try like to marjorie compensate. taylor
1: Greene, people who got credit for talking about the baby formula shortage while we were giving money to ukraine then shot down funding for baby formula
0: yep anything the government does is evil so they use it as a wedge and you know basically just as a foil to be like ah like Look at the Democrats don't care about babies and then they'll just vote against actually emergency funds to save babies lives. So that's the kind of double speak that's going on today. And we're gonna get into American narcissism next, um, talking about these mass shootings that happened. But why don't we take another call in between?
1: Yeah, and just so like I, I think for the baby formula sort of thing, it's like it's hard for people who like don't have infants who need formula to yeah. kind of get the the level of it. But like, just anecdotally, like two of our friends, one who lives in LA, she had to drive an hour and a half to find formula an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other friend who lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, who has an infant, she had to drive two hours outside of Knoxville to find formula. I mean, that's, Wild. This is what babies need to serve. Like people you, who don't, you don't eat anything else. When yeah, you're an infant, yeah. you eat one thing. Yeah, you eat one thing. Baby formula or breast milk. And, and guess not everyone what? Can produce breast. Yeah. Milk. Guess what? The majority
0: of women can't produce enough breast milk, and so they need to subsidize. The majority. Yeah. The majority. So when people are like, "Why don't you just breastfeed your baby?" Well, guess what? It's not that simple. A lot of women cannot supply breast milk to the point where a baby can survive and grow healthily. So that's what has been happening, guys.
1: That's bad. Uh, Rudy, you're on the line. Where are you calling from, Rudy? You are on mute. Press the microphone button to become unmuted. You're going to get booted in five, four, three, two. You're booted. Now we have Jeffrey. Rudy, call back. Rudy, Rudy, call back. back We'll we'll pump you up. We'll uh, bump you to the front. Jeffrey, where are you calling from?
6: Hi, guys. Hey. Yeah. Hey. I'm a huge fan big admirer. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, so my dose moments, um, uh, I'm, I'm curious what's, uh, what you guys is, uh, what you guys take is on it. Um, and it's basically learning about the, um, the pseudoscience and the damage, uh, well, the pseudoscience behind big pharma's medications, especially in the psychiatric area. And the damage that those medications can cause to people um I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with this problem, or um
0: what specifically are you talking about
6: i'm I'm talking about well if you can if you go on Facebook and you type in benzodiazepine support group uh a number of them will come up, and um thousands of people will be in there and basically what is what happens is Uh, Mental health professionals create the problem by prescribing these medications without informed consent. People get um, dependent on them, and they get damaged, uh, particularly when they discontinue In the case of, say, benzodiazepines, which is like Valium. Xanax. Mm -hmm. Correct, correct. And then the medical professionals refuse to acknowledge that there is a problem here. So people end up having to go on Facebook support groups, communicating amongst themselves to help them get off the medications and, and to deal with the damage, which can take years to recover from, and it can actually lead up to people taking their lives. Um, I mean, there are a number of activist voices that speak out about it. Um, uh, Robert Whitaker, uh, he's a journalist and also wrote a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic. Uh, He founded an organization called Mad in America, and he gives very data-based analysis using the industry's own, uh, own data, you know, which of course many times is from manicured uh, research studies and ghost written articles, you know? Um, So essentially uh, you know mainstream media does not want to cover it because it would involve criticizing their advertisers you know uh so it 's very hard to to bring attention to the problem um, you know it 's a
0: great it 's a great point, Jeffrey. I want to jump in here really quickly because it 's a really sure. good point i think it 's worth mentioning two very stark facts about u s society one is that we are i think the only country or one of two countries in the entire world, I think maybe the other countries, New Zealand, but I, that might your, not even be yeah, true anymore, that part. that direct-to-consumer to, to consumer pharmaceutical advertising is allowed, and you have these pharma reps shilling. I mean, like, mm-hmm. doctors get, you know, cr- like, fucking rewards. I, I knew a pharma rep um, personally, and it was very disturbing, this kind of toxic, ancestral relationship that pharmaceutical reps have with doctors to push these pills And just the whole notion of preventative healthcare is completely off the table. It's all about problem-reaction-solution. We're going to push these benzos down your throats. We're going to push whatever down your throats. Instead of focusing on how can we encourage mental health preventative treatment, how can we encourage some sort of community apparatus to deal with the problems of our alienation and isolation of society that a lot of people get on these pills to begin with, to deal with depression and anxiety I mean, these are all very normal human problems. And not Absolutely. to say that people don't... Absolutely. You know, I, I know that they do help people, but I think the point is they are overprescribed, and there's no other alternative offered. And then, of course, it's the mixing, the cocktails of medications. I, I do know people who good have good. had horrific health effects from being mixing benzos with other sort of pharmaceutical drugs, and they have permanent, lasting effects from them. And, of course, the other fact is um so there's the direct to consumer advertising and then it's the fact that america's one of the most medicated if not the most medicated country in the world so not only um you know oxycontin vicodin all of the opiates i think they're also we are also the most medicated in terms of benzos and and these other kind of ssri or whatever the fuck you call Uh, the um, mental inhibitors
6: if you if you listen to robert whitaker speak for about an hour He's very, very data-based. And you'll come to understand that uh, while, you know, some people do say that, you know, they report that these medications help them, um, you know, it's also important to understand, to, to look at the broad-based effect that they have on society. For example, one thing that Robert Whitaker will focus on is um, the increasing amounts of people who are on SSDI for uh, mental health problems. And that's been mm-hmm. increasing. It mm-hmm. seems that if these medications are helping, then that would be decreasing uh, broad-based, if you look at society on a broad-based level. But it's not the case.
0: No, it's a really good point, And I think it just speaks to the need for health care, man. I mean, the fact that this is the solution and a lot of people seek these out because they are dealing with this trauma or daily you know, problems. And, you know, even though medications like this
6: normal, you know, problems that people have in everyday life. I mean, yeah. And if we had a great documentary called medicating normal that Mm -hmm. came out a couple of years ago, that, uh, elucidates this very well.
1: Yeah. Jeffrey. Um, you know, I just want to say like that in, in general, like it's, our society just breeds despair. And we have so many diseases of despair in the society. Addiction, depression, all of that stuff comes from having a complete stripping of community, uh, a society that makes people into atomized individuals who are extremely alienated, not just from people uh, in their community, but like, you know, their neighbors. I mean, how many times have you lived in an apartment building and you didn't talk to ever the people who live next door to you? And it's just like weird for humans to live in that way. And so even if you haven't experienced some kind of trauma or anything that that would uh, exacerbate the uh, these types of mental health problems that you would be prescribed these things for. um even if you haven't gone through something terrible that would exacerbate these things, just life in general in capitalism breeds these these uh mental health issues and and so nobody is really immune from them and so there's a, a of course a massive market for this stuff because everybody feels a degree of anxiety and depression and whatever um sure. and at the varying levels but it is a thing that is completely prominent in society but i do want to say that um, this goes for every medication that is prescribed for mental health stuff. I mean, not just benzos, but antidepressants, anti-anxiety stuff, True, anti- antidepressant sleep medication, anti-anti. Yeah, there's there's many different types of things that can be prescribed to you for having so whatever uh, a stripe of of mental health issue that you have. Uh, medication alone is never a cure for a mental health problem. So there are Absolutely. people that probably connect do benefit.
6: People, yeah, and so you know, getting so with people exercise diet. Yeah, you know, therapy. <laughs> I mean, it has to be there. It has to be Absolutely.
1: medication should only be considered part of a kind of a broad spectrum of things that you're doing uh, to treat yourself. And so, you know, anyone who is prescribed these things and do does get help from them, you know, that is Okay, but it, it's, it has to be part of something bigger. Um, but thank oh, you, Jeffrey, for your... Thank you for your dose moment and uh, uh-huh. bringing that up because it is a, a very American problem for, for many reasons. The source of the problem and then, of course, the treatment being wholly inadequate. Um, thank you for your call. We're going to jump so. to the next caller so we can try to get to everyone and that's look, in the queue before we get off. Um, yeah, go well, ahead. We also
0: never touched upon, like, one of the biggest topics of today's episode, which is the American narcissism and these mass shootings. And so... You know, we are the peak capitalist society in the world, we're the world's hegemon, we are the largest empire, and so we have empire baby syndrome. And I think this manifests in really disturbing and grotesque ways. Why is America number one when it comes to serial killers? Why is America number one when it comes to these horrific mass shootings? I don't think there's one answer for it, Mike. I, I don't think it's just guns. Of course, that's a huge problem, right? The easy access to guns. The fact that this guy who shot 19 fucking kids, two teachers... I'm answer. sorry, killed 19 kids, two teachers, and shot 17 more people. That's how many more people could have died in Uvalde. He bought two AR-15s online. I mean, that that's... <laughs> There's something very sick about our society, the fetishization of the Second Amendment, the lack of regulations of, you know, the fact that we can't even pass universal background checks. But I feel like that is not the core thing that is causing this manifestation. Um, I think that there is some sort of extreme narcissistic personality disorder syndrome of people who grow up in this society that. It's not just about suicide. It's not just about taking yourself out. It's about taking out as many soft targets as you can with you. There's something deeply, deeply wrong um, about this line of thinking, and it. And I think it's all just nurtured. I mean, it's encouraged actually, from the way that the system operates and perpetuates, and the fact that you know all of this violence lies on our shoulders, is is externalized in our name, unleashed here at home with the sadism of the police forces and I I don't have an answer for Mike but I think that this Uvalde mass shooting of course coming just a week and a half or so after the Buffalo mass shooting was just a stark reminder of of, that there's a serious fucking problem in this country right and this is this is the biggest argument for defunding the police I've ever seen the fact that the police (laughs) I mean, people have even spe- speculated, like, maybe the cops killed a kid and wanted to, like, kill all the witnesses in the room because it's, like, so egregious. I, I mean, it's so shocking what the police did or did not do. The, you know, the fact that 19 policemen were inside the school, 150 cops outside, intimidating, pepper spraying, threatening the arrest of parents who wanted to save their children while you hear gunshots firing in the background. After after that, they changed their story a million times. Refused to release the body cameras. Um, using biker gangs to intimidate reporters. 40% of Uvalde's budget was spent on police. So what the fuck is that for, right? There was a goddamn window in the classroom. They could have broken the window and sniped this motherfucker inside, but they, they didn't care about these kids dying. I think this is a perfect example of the over-militarization of these border towns and the lack of just humanity. With police in general and of course I mean, it's all about officer safety none of this is about putting lives in the line uh, putting your life in the line to save actual human beings this is about after officer safety first and foremost and this was the most egregious example of such that 150 police will actually stand back and let dozens of babies die because they're scared of getting shot but yeah let's give them more more money more weapons more SWAT gear more MRAP machines and then coming off the heels of this sick motherfucker who live-streamed himself gunning down 10 black innocent civilians in the supermarket horrible manifesto printed online very mirrors eerily to you know rhetoric coming pumping out of Fox News Tucker Carlson it's just horrific Mike and I and I I don't know, you know, it's cartoonish to see like what people come out and try to say that the solution is, you know, further militarization, more cops, one entry and exit out of a school, more terrorizing mechanisms to just have kids wear bulletproof backpacks and blankets. And, you know, like basically Uvalde had all this shit in place. They had these gun drills. They had you know, if you look at Parkland, there, like, was only one armed officer, and he did nothing as,
1: you know... He th- hid in uh, his car.
0: Yeah, and he was actually charged with, like, child neglect and culpable negligence and perjury. But it was all-day school District, And then he was
1: fired, and then he was hired back. Oh, really? I thought he was, like, actually yeah. about then to he be got convicted. got back. Wow. Um, he did but get it, found that he committed wrongdoing, but then, and then they fired him, and then they hired him back. Cool, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, that's what happens with a lot of these cops. They just get, like, you know... Reentered into another district or something. But um, in Valde, what is so fascinating is that they actually had dealt with a, a situation just like this. I mean, they had multiple officers, staff, like and employed professionals who basically like did all of this in preparation for a potential mass shooting. That's what's so fascinating about this. They had perimeter fencing, security cameras, they had portable metal detectors, they had um, they had like drills. You know, and they were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on doing this, as well, of course, as the SWAT team personnel that was supposed to react immediately to this. What is wrong with this country? And it, it, that's the thing. It's like, I do support gun control to a certain extent. But at the same time, I, I think that if you ban um, assault rifles like like already was done, you're going to see a huge backlash of right-wing terrorism um, with a lot of these militia groups that that claim to be, you know, forming militias to take down the tyranny of government well no it's it's actually just about communists and the left now that and so now it's actually become much more frightening even
1: than it was before it's like yeah people the forget, left is the target now people forget what happened uh, after clinton banned assault weapons because there was a mass assault weapon ban that bill clinton did in the 90s after a bunch of crazy school mass shootings and uh what happened was the oklahoma city bombing by a right wing terrorist and of course waco was his main motivation but he also cited uh the the assault weapon ban as proof that the federal government was restricting our constitutional rights and that's not to say that there shouldn't be some kind of gun control action but it's it just shows the kind of basket case country that we live in that there is this real serious threat and that the, the you have to behind the scenes i'm sure the politicians are weighing what uh not that they want to do much but like obviously this threat of a real violent backlash from the right wing is probably something that uh someone is concerned with up there
0: Yeah. So, Mike, what do you think it is? Because it's not it's not as easy, I think, as people are painting it as. And of course, as as long as we're pretending like the U.S. isn't some sick fucking empire that perpetuates mass violence and subjugation against tens of millions of people around the world and at home, I don't think that we're going to really wrap our minds around the solution here.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of reasons uh, for it. And I don't think when you kind of accumulate all the different causes, why the U.S. has so many mass shootings that um, I don't think there's the solutions are, I think, have to be very deep societal changes. I think there's different types of mass shootings. I mean, a lot of them clearly are racially motivated white supremacist shootings like this, the massacre in Buffalo uh, that, you know, and there's been many Massacres of black people by white supremacists and uh, Muslims. Of, yeah, Muslims, Latinos. I mean, these are many of these have occurred over the years. And so I think when you're talking about just the racially motivated mass shootings, which is a phenomenon, it is major and um, I think that we live in a deeply racist society and it's extremely normalized. And I think a lot of the defense of people like Tucker Carlson, who is one of the major, and others at Fox News, major proponents of the Great Replacement Theory, which is what that fascist demonstration happening right now outside Juneteenth is about. It's all signs about Great Replacement. And that's what this shooter in Buffalo is about, the, the Great Replacement. To say the defense of Tucker and Fox News saying like, well, they never called to kill people. I mean, they just talk about great replacement but they never talked about killing people and that this is just extremists like this has nothing to do with what they think that's complete bullshit i mean anyone who is this country that is so characterized by racism and racist oppression that had a fucking civil war over it and then at the end of that civil war that war continued in the form of white terrorism against black people having any kind of rights or power in this country that really continues up until this day uh anyone anyone who contributes in any way to fanning the flames of racism uh there are consequences to that and the buffalo massacre is one of the consequences of P- of the mainstreaming of racist ideas like you hear every single day on Fox and every single episode of Tucker Carlson. I don't give a fuck if Tucker every once in a while says something good about war. It the compromise of getting someone on on Fox News with a big audience to say something like good about war every so often when 90% of the time he is feeding into the scourge of racism in this country that has real life consequences of people dying. Like the ten people who died in Buffalo and countless other victims, I think is a. I don't think nothing is worth uh, that kind of um, that kind of trade off uh, at all. Um, but I think just in general, the phenomenon of mass shootings. I mean, I think you already said it, Abby. It's like we live in a country that breeds uh, breeds disturbed and hateful people, and it's very easy for all of those disturbed and hateful people to get a gun. It's very easy for them to get a gun. And I think that that's just a really deadly cocktail. And what is the reason that we can't take action to prevent those disturbed and hateful people people from getting a gun very easily? Is we have a fetish around the Constitution. And that's really what separates us. I mean, Canada, Australia, countries with similar settler, colonial and imperialist histories to the United States. Um, they were able to, they don't have the same fetish around the Constitution as we do in this country. And that's why they were able to make it harder for very bad people to get guns, um, which is a major barrier in this country.
0: Yeah, it's it's really tough to wrap your mind around, especially when you look at, you know, this bizarre aspect of the Buffalo mass shooting that apparently he was like in communication with a retired federal agent um that he was talking to like 30 minutes in advance online like discussing this racist hatred racist hatred and i think it speaks to this pervasive problem within law enforcement and federal agencies that actually are q honors racists deny the existence of like right-wing terrorism and the existence of racism in general Right. And so this is becoming I, I think that this is a much bigger problem than people are acknowledging. And it's very detached from reality. I mean, especially when you look at people like Michael Flynn, were like doing the QAnon oath around a campfire. I mean, this, this is this is a total severance of of our reality, you guys. And these people are the ones who are the well-armed militia. <laughs> they are the ones who are policing our neighborhood. The fact that this guy was talking to this Buffalo shooter and God knows what he knew, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's just it's just a sampling and, and of course, the lack of response to these poor Latino kids in Uvalde, you know, it, I think that this speaks to a, a, a lot of components of not only the narcissism, but just this fantastical magical thinking rooted in, in racism. And structures of oppression and the fact that these people are emboldened and empowered and they are the ones who become police officers and i think it's becoming much worse police really so i mean I, I don't know how anyone can look at what happened there and say we need more funding for police like if anything this is this is the moment that i would hope people would take a step back and say this is wrong and that you know spending almost half of your city budget on police when they do fucking nothing to protect children what are we doing here? What is the point of any of this? And it and again, we know that this is just a bleeds off and leeches off from the military industrial complex. That's where all the, this weapon, advanced weaponry is coming from. I mean, I looked at a photograph that I took of police in Oakland when Oscar Grant was murdered. And, um, it was shocking. I mean, they almost look quaint, you know, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. like like just how rapid the escalation and militarization of the police are today. They, they literally look like more crazy than stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I don't know where this is going, but I think that you speak to an important point, which is like the, the society breeds a particular strain of narcissism mm-hmm. and self-importance and when you couple that with alienation of of peak capitalism, when you couple that with the degradation of society, the lack of mental health access and the extremely easy access to guns, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? I think that there's a million solutions. And, and of course, number one, and this might be sound like a cop-out, is of course, number one is... Um, mental health treatment, expanded health care. But I think that no brainers like, you know, overthrowing capitalism. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I think no brainers, you know, when it comes to gun control, it's like, dude, I mean, the fact that they can't even fucking pull their shit together to like pass background checks and stuff like that.
1: You were just telling me yesterday about that. There's this big bipartisan revolutionary bill on gun control that's coming down. That's being tied. It's like the politicians are finally doing something. But what even is it?
0: I don't even know what it is. I think it's like some it's closing some loophole in like a boyfriend law, basically saying that you, it's very convoluted and basically
1: applies to like a hundred people. In the yeah. Country. It's like,
0: it's like, it's like basically like dudes who were charged with like felony domestic assault. who are were able to just like get their guns. Partner. Yeah. Something like that. And, and what's not in the bills, of course, raising the age where you can get these assault weapons, you know, any sort of like training background checks and the bumper stock or the add ons that are like, make them deadlier. So none of that. Um, and it's just, like, weird kind of, like, you know, not in... I mean, of course, everything's important, but it's just... It's being touted as, like, a, this historic bipartisan thing and really... Um... There's a lot more that could be done.
1: Or it just wouldn't be equally applied. Like it say the be government came applied. and said, yeah, Okay, exactly. we're gonna ban assault weapons, exactly. we're gonna go into certain communities and make sure all the assault weapons are gone and like not uh take them away from others. And it'll just be like the right wing that continues to have no, a exactly. monopoly of firearms.
0: Right. And I mean it's important to realize that like what is it like two percent of Americans have all the guns, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like really crazy disproportionality of who has been stockpiling these weapons. And, and- assault
1: weapons have no purpose other than to kill humans i mm-hmm. mean that's what assault rifles are for there's no mm-hmm. other purpose of an assault rifle than to kill a human being
0: yeah and it's like the hypocrisy surrounding this argument too it's like oh why do we have these guns it's like well why are we killing people anywhere and when you have such a normalized fetish of, of military violence all the time around the world and war is the first solution when you're an empire every and you look at every problem you know you're the hammer and every problem's a nail so <clears throat> I, to me, it's a very comprehensive, like, you need to really take a step back and look at everything together. And unfortunately, people are just looking at certain aspects of the problem, but no one's addressing the empire baby narcissism problem, which I think breeds not just that, but a lot of the things that make America exceptional in all the most fucked up ways. The fact that suicides are rising here more than any other country, opiate addiction, like a lot of of really disturbing outgrowths of you know manifestations of living in the heart of the empire here and that includes um feeling like you need to kill a lot of people other than just take your ass out yourself and i think other countries are just appalled appalled looking at our country and thinking why why is there a lack of urgency why is there a lack of action why does this happen in general
1: yeah i think that was the the hardest hitting thing about uvalde i think for people i mean buffalo was was very horrific i think uvalde only overshadowed it because it was children who were killed um and so many children um but i think that there was i think this kind of final overall acceptance among people that uh this is just the way it is and it's not going to change and i think other mash like when there was parkland when there was sandy hook i think there was more of a feeling like if this could be a turning point this could lead to changes to finally stop this problem this is going to inspire and motivate politicians to finally do something anything about what's going on and i think after uvalde i i felt that the attitude is very different uh that there is just a collective like hopelessness yeah there's nothing nothing's going to happen yeah. these motherfuckers aren't going to do shit about anything and that uh, the only way to really protect yourself is to just leave the fucking country um or just the only comfort you have is in like if you're a parent is because how do you protect your kid going to school you can't there's nothing you can fucking do um bulletproof back like that shit is like that shit won't even work man you try to hold up a bulletproof vest and have someone shoot it uh, that thing is not staying in your hands um but the only comfort that you can get is in like in the statistical probability that it it probably won't be our kid who gets shot it will probably be when this happens once a month, uh, someone else's school that gets shot up, and so that's a very demoralizing place to be. And so I think that was, I think that was a big difference with Uvalde than other school shootings is that I think in the past maybe people felt it could be a spark to change something, especially after Parkland. There's like the mass Sandy marches.
0: Oak. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, San Diego right. was like like baby, like literally like five year olds Yeah,
1: yeah. No, and then after Parkland, there was the big mass marches. It sparked a whole movement. I mean, it was significant the organizing that young students did and did walkouts all over their schools that stuff was very significant and important and there was a a, i think a grain of hope there and i think after uvalde which was so horrific you know it's and then the democrats coming right out and saying we're not going to put a bill for it. And then Biden's speech was like, you guys should do this. But if not, maybe you could do this, this little compromise. But, you know, if not, there's nothing I can do. But, you know, it's just like the weakest shit ever. And then, like you're saying, there's this now bill that they're touting. It's like, oh, look, we're doing something. We're doing something. And it's just like, we'll apply to such a minuscule amount of people in the country that like, obviously, it's not going to stop this phenomenon at all.
0: No, you're, you're right. There is some sort of kind of mass despair that I that's like palpable In the air. In fact, everyone I talked to, like, after happened, like, the day or two after, it was, like, everyone was just, like, in this bizarre space, headspace. Like, everyone just out in society was just, like, what, like, what do we do? And there was just no hope at all. And I think that that's just been accumulating over the inaction over so long that people are just, like, nothing's going to happen. And we just have to, like, accept that this is going to keep
1: happening and possibly, like exponentially rise i mean as soon as i as soon as i saw the story literally the first thing i did is i went on zillow to look at how real estate mm-hmm. in canada to see how much it costs to move to canada i mean obviously that's not something that is available to most people in this country but it was my just reaction was just like i fucking hate this place mm-hmm. i gotta get out of here and it's really not safe
0: anywhere because it's just so random you know and that i think that's the horror of it all it's like the terrorism that it could happen anywhere at any mm-hmm. time to anyone and it's so fucking random and so senseless because that's just – that's the empire baby mentality is that you fucking deserve it, dude. You deserve to kill people because why the fuck not, right? And and another sick aspect of it is just like the media glorification. Like I remember the prime minister of New Zealand was just like, I'm not going to talk about who this guy was who killed all these mosque mm, yeah, worshippers. Yeah. Like they never showed his face. They never talked about him. We like plaster that motherfucker on screen for Mm -hmm. weeks and weeks and weeks. He becomes um, a hero.
1: Right, to a and lot I've, of people. Yeah, no, I mean, the, no, the right wing message boards are, of course, yeah, you know the that's Buffalo the thing. thing. I mean, yeah. that's part of the motivation for these people to do it. Right, like the Buffalo guy. Yeah, they but live part stream. Of the organization it. is is you know you will be the, become the celebrity on all the message boards that you spend all your fucking time on yeah. all day. I mean, that's a chan inspired all these mass shootings because these people are celebrated, and so no, you will be vilified in the mainstream media. But these people hate the mainstream media yeah. anyway. They want to be celebrated in their fucking weird super hateful right wing niche community that that they have online and that fuels all this shit. And you know, all this like all this like talk about like attacks on free speech and all these other platforms that, that are like racists who got kicked off of Twitter for like saying racist shit. Like that's that's somehow like censorship. Like 4chan was the true experiment and absolute total free speech online. And it led to people live streaming mass shootings on it. Uh, and so I, I think there's definitely that's often forgotten and in the conversation about like who gets kicked off of platforms for saying, like, that's obviously a lot of people are getting kicked off for saying so that is not bad, you know, saying anti war oh, yeah, stuff, no, whatever. But like, there is definitely an element of like need to prevent these spaces from becoming not just breeding grounds for like mass shooters, but like what is actually motivating people to do it, to get the notoriety and heroism within these online communities.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to bring up something really interesting that Rania Kallick said to me earlier. Another plug for Rania there. Um, She lives in Lebanon. There's a lot of fucking guns in the area. Um, And this isn't a phenomenon that's matched anywhere else in the world. And I think guns...
1: It's not just the guns. It's not
0: just the guns is what I'm saying. It's like there's something very disturbing about our society. And it's, you know, there's a lot... Yeah, of course, there's a lot of terrorism... In a lot of other parts of the world, caused by other things, a lot of them politically motivated. Um, But this is this is just senseless, random violence. That's not you know the ones that aren't obviously racially motivated, like that fucking guy in the Vegas hotel room. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like that was just absolutely you like the most horrific, nightmarish thing that you could ever.
1: Narcissist. Extreme narcissist. An extreme
0: narcissist that just wanted to kill as many people as possible because he was a psychotic empire. He
1: was a big rock. he was a big baller in Las Vegas and started losing mm-hmm. and then wanted to kill a bunch of people because he wasn't a big baller anymore. Oh, my God, man. as simple as that. Well, should we... Uh, should we? And someone just asked what the status
0: is with Earth's Greatest Enemy. We are still in the middle of filming. We're trying to wrap up filming by the Listen end of the year. the beginning year. of the
1: show. We Check out the beginning right of the
0: again. show. Sign up at earthsgreatestenemy.com for updates. We're about to send out an update on our mailing list. Let's take a couple more calls to wrap up the show, Mike. We've been going on for, for a long time. Um, I would love to hear what you guys think.
1: Vin, where are you calling from?
5: <laughs> Yo, what's up, guys? Uh, I'm calling, actually... Live from Mogadishu, Somalia.
1: Get out of here. Oh
5: Yeah, yeah. What's up? What's up? Appreciate you um,
1: calling in. What time is it there?
5: It's pretty late. It's <laughs> like 2 or 3, whatever. Nice, like that. dude. Thanks for hanging in there. Nah, um, appreciate you guys. Um, you're actually, I want to say um, Abby's video that you did, I think, if you, I don't remember how long ago it was, the one you did when you were. Um, interviewing people in israel about mm-hmm. their views on palestinians <laughs> yeah your videos pretty fa- like went viral here like way later in somalia and people were like what is crazy white woman talking?" About? <laughs> i love it and um so yeah you got i think you got some fans out here but um i i just i struggle with the gun thing i'm a little bit old i'm not old uh, i like to think i'm young but I grew i was like a kid small kid in um uh in Mordichon, um in the in the nineties um when the when the government collapsed and i struggle with the gun thing because i'm like i seen um i seen my uncle with a gun trying to protect his family from rogue fucking um government going down against his civilians in in uh, eighty nine to ninety one um, and I heard about all the stories from my, uh, older family members. And then also in, um, in a little, a little bit later in the nineties, when the Americans came in, um, there was, a. I mean, a lot of people don't really know what happened during the black Hawk down thing. Um, there's kind of a crazy whitewashing of it. Only like people who were here actually know what happened. And there was this incident of, um, these uh, clan elders that were trying to bring a peace deal together and the Americans were trying to go after uh, uh, Mohammed uh, Farah Aidid, And um, they just blew up the building where these elders were. And that's when Somalis went fucking crazy and pissed off. And we, that's when they turned on the Americans because before it was like, it wasn't like that. And that's when the switch happened. And then that's when, I mean, I know people, there was this infamous photo of the American soldier that's getting dragged around the streets of Mogadishu. I don't want to piss off Americans here, but, um, I mean, I lived in America myself. But um, there was that picture where you see this soldier who's dead, who was shot down from the helicopter, and he's getting dragged down the streets. And I remember Somalis got such a bad rap because people were posing with the soldier's dead body, and they were thinking, oh, these savages and blah 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 blah. but what they don't know is that they just fucking killed these elders these clan elders and in somalia the clan system is so so like important it's the bedrock of society here so i see that and then i, I first time i lived in the west was uh in toronto and honestly i know you i think is it mike saying about canada yeah I don't go to canada yeah that's what i people told me that i spent time in toronto uh uh, when a lot of somali immigrants were coming here refugees and yeah there's gun control and all this like it's not there's a very different gun culture there's basically no guns in the suburbs but in the hood all the guns are there. that's where they put all the guns and then i seen so many of my homies die on the streets and nobody gave a fuck so like I, i hate I hate people talking about, oh, Canada and its gun control and its gun culture. It's like, fuck you, man. And then, yeah, I'm, I, I, and I, it goes weird. Like, I go to the US and then I see, like, the gun culture and I see, like, yeah, people proud of their guns and all this kind of stuff. And it's always been weird for me because I'm like, most of the people who love their guns and pose with their guns, like cause the right wingers or whatever, if you actually seen what guns can do, you don't you don't love that shit mm-hmm. it's not something to be proud of we have and, and like but i still have this idea in my head that it's you need to defend yourself it's a, i understand that but then also like there's always a i always struggle with this issue but it's 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 um the thing that the thing that's strange is it's a very uh it's a very deep-rooted sickness in the society that causes these things we I, i'm in Mogadishu right now i live here part of the year and um there's guns there's more guns per capita here than in the u.s for a fact like 100 mm-hmm, percent.
0: Mm-hmm. but we don't have
5: we don't have people there's no mass shootings there's no murders there's there are suicide bombings but that's from al Shabaab, that happens every now and then but we don't the, people in the streets are average civilian nobody's killing each other like that there's so there's there's a i agree with you guys it's not just the guns. A deep, there's a deep rooted uh, illness in the society of uh, maybe I don't know what it is in this hyper individualism uh, that is so perva- pervasive in uh, America. I've never experienced anything like that when I was there, uh, that just doesn't exist in other parts of the world. I, I don't know, but uh, those are just my thoughts.
1: Thanks, Finn. Yeah, and I uh, appreciate the. Uh, the info about Canada too. I mean, they, obviously they don't have the, the type of mass shootings like we do, but obviously gun violence is prevalent everywhere. And I guess it's it's like almost like the thing with climate change. It's like nowhere is really safe. You know, there's there's definitely the front lines of it, but you're nowhere is immune from the problems of like this global system. Um, yeah. And honestly, like your point about like why you're conflicted about guns, because there is a need for self-defense and like the, um, the memories of your uncle actually using a gun for self-defense from repressive government. I mean, I think that that's like the fantasy that the right wing has the people that are so attached to their guns. Like they think that there's going to be this big government sweep that's going to come take away your rights and you're going to have to defend yourselves in the way that your family actually had to do, uh, when in reality, it's like their their existence with guns is just to um, uh, attack the people, the kind of people that they're attacking is like uh, marches for justice and, uh, the you know, anti- like things just like fantasies and like actual progress. And that was actually been the use of guns by these forces in this country for most of its existence is to actually kill people who are just uh, they see. Because they're racist and uh, because people want to advance their rights. Um, and, and you're right. But there is actually in, in terms of gun control in the, in the US, there there is it. That's why I was saying that abandoned assault weapons or like sweeping gun control. Uh, I don't actually trust how this government would carry that out. And it could actually leave communities that need to be able to defend themselves from all these these actually highly organized and growing right-wing militias that are heavily armed and aren't going to turn over their guns in a gun buyback. Um, that if if certain communities are targeted for having their guns turned over and that the, the fascists still have them, then you do have a situation where you have uh, a lack of self-defense potential, which was key to defeating like Jim Crow racism. I mean, it was armed self-defense of black communities that was able to turn back the Klan. the first time gun control is really ever introduced in a big way in this country is when the black panther party said hey well if there's all these gun rights maybe we should exploit the gun rights to use for our own self-defense and that was considered unacceptable to the u.s government and so yeah i mean it's it's like there are all these contradictions and there is, uh, is all these other deeper lying things and i think that's what kind of speaks to the the overall hopelessness with all these mass shootings is that people if you really start to analyze it and see what the problem is you realize that the solutions that are needed are extremely far reaching and total societal changes. I mean the government that we have now is incapable of dealing with it. The system we have now is uh incapable of dealing with it. I think on minor things, like if you make it harder for people who are fucking eighteen year old like online. Like psychopath type people, if you make it harder for them to buy a gun that can kill like 200 people in 30 seconds, that might help the situation. And so I'm all in support of like those types of measures. But you're right. I mean, there's other issues that that come into it. And, you know, we really appreciate your perspective and honored to have a call from Mogadishu.
0: Yeah. And thanks for telling the truth about Black Hawk Down.
1: Yeah. That's wild. You know, um, I'm super fascinated by that, actually. I I want to learn more about that. Yeah. Because, Mike, uh, in the army, weren't you like everyone was like forced to watch it? uh, Vin, I. Yeah. You could tell tell people this. In the Army, in my basic training and in my advanced training in the Army, they make you watch Black Hawk Down all the fucking time. I'm sure it's different now, but this is back in like (laughs) 2001 to 2005. I've seen that movie like fucking 50 times because like anytime there's a break... And like, and, and even in like air assault school, like all these other schools that I went to, it's like anytime there's like nothing to do, it's sit down and watch Black Hawk Down, which is so ironic because even, uh, even the American version of it in Black Hawk Down, it's still the story of like a massive fuck up it's like why are they even there and it's also like just a completely botched mission we're like (laughs) oh shit we're on this convoy and we're lost and we don't know how to get back and we're stuck and it's just this dumb officer like like fucks everything up and it's like this shouldn't really be motivating people in the army it just kind of shows how uh (laughs) you're gonna die for no reason in a place you got no business (laughs) being because some dumb officer took you on a dumb convoy uh but yeah it was kind of wild how heavily indoctrinated they like i mean i mean i know the reason because it's like a lot of killing happens and that's part of the military culture is like a glorification of killing and just killing in general is badass even if all the other circumstances are completely stupid and botched but yeah um so yeah no it's or cool it would be cool to do and it would be cool to do some an episode on the real story sometime and so i I'll think it's inspired us. Uh, yeah yeah
5: anecdote. Um, there was a funny because uh, somalis have this in our culture it's like we have this weird uh it's like a mix of humble superiority complex it's very strange uh but there's um the Americans were confused because we had, basically there's a there's a reverence for nomadic culture and uh, Somali culture. So you had a lot of the city people, but when they heard of the Americans in, in, in this show, a lot of the nomads started to come into the city. And these guys don't really, are very to themselves, didn't really know much about the U.S. or whatever. And we had, there was a lot of the people that were like... And they were fearlessly, like, just taking RPG launchers and shooting that shit. And people were, like... And they were shooting them in a way where they could backfire and kill themselves. And there were people, like, yo, you guys know who you're going against. This is, like, the United States. Like, these guys ended World War II. They won the Cold War. All this kind of stuff. A lot of the city people were telling them. And they were, like, who? I don't give a fuck. And they were just going in. And it was... And the Americans were confused because they're, like, who the hell are these people? so yeah no, it's, it was a it was a crazy um it's a crazy incident and it i just i always laugh at how the story is told um uh in in like traditional media even and honestly even in progressive
1: mm-hmm. media
5: they just nobody gets the story right but yeah no thanks for letting me yeah
1: sp- speak. for sure vin yeah and no, thank you for the call really hope you call in again mm-hmm. sometime we loved having you and um You know, I think it inspired us to kind of dig deeper into that story. And and if we can, in the middle of everything else we're doing, maybe do something on it. Um, So Vin, thanks for staying up late and calling in. We love you. And we are going to just take two more quick calls before we get off. We're approaching three hours here, but we wanted to do our best to hear from as many people as possible. Okay, we're going to take one more call from someone who's been on the line for a long time. Fantomas. Hello. You are also on mute. You need to unmute yourself. Maybe Colin should default people off Yeah, right? Fantomas! Okay. Well. Sorry. Okay. D. Oh. Fantomas is back. Nope. <laughs> Hello. D. Hey. Hey.
0: What's up? All right. Yeah. Wait, and and we we don't have too much time left, so let's try to keep it yeah, a little bit a on minute. Okay.
11: First of all, I called in a couple of weeks ago just to discuss with Abby about like the uh, the left, you know, not platforming right wingers, uh, uh-huh. and I was wondering, did you guys ever post that show? Um, oh yeah. As first. Um. And was that second, our first but...
0: episode? No, I, I think it was uh, – I forget who was the ga- – man, I forget I forget
11: which one it was. But The, sec- the second thing I want to just say is that um, my question would be um, do you think there's an issue with um, sometimes on, on like I guess the left and the isolationist right um, taking the opposite approach to American exceptionalism where we only see America as uniquely evil and we um, like don't – like we aren't able to criticize other countries? Because I think that shaped our view in terms of some of the people's comments on like the whole like what regardless of what you think of Ukraine and Russia like mm-hmm. even if you have an issue with Ukraine Russia is sometimes portrayed on on this sort of media as if it's like a entirely good actor and it doesn't have its own issues. So do you think that's an issue?
0: Um, um I I understand why people like me and Mike talk about. The U.S. because we're American citizens and we feel like our criticism of the U.S. is first and foremost and the utmost importance to try to generate education and um, and um, Jesus Christ I cannot three hours my brain is completely melting at this point but yeah I mean just to just to basically organize some sort of movement against the structures that we have the most impact on directly as American citizens, of course, as the world's most powerful and violent empire that, you know, we've ever seen in history. However, um, I have been very open about criticizing Russia, I don't know if you know about, you know, me on Russia Today, talking about even the Crimea incursion, which I disagreed with. And of course, the second the invasion of Ukraine happened, I was horrified. There were so many other things that Putin could have done to talk about what was happening in Donbass and these semi-autonomous regions. Um, other than invading a sovereign yeah. country and starting this, you know, put, throwing a match into a tinderbox. So I think it's kind of cartoonish, this kind of dichotomization of, like, Russia's good because they're they're not I mean, it, it basically just taking Russia's rhetoric at face value when Russia is a capitalist power, right, that has its own ambitions. And it's it's kind of bizarre, actually, because In it's no kind rush, of, like, really... <laughs> I mean, I I tend to think of things much more with much more complexities in the geopolitical front. Yeah, it's kind of this cartoonish trend of people who just take Russia's side because it's against the U.S., Um, and it's just very dumb, I mean, honestly. Um, And so I think that we can walk and chew gum at the same time while still focusing on the U.S. as a bad actor, as, you know, throwing fuel into this fire and as instigating a lot of the tensions in the region, while also... Roundly condemning Russia for what they do, and also what they're doing right now is absolutely horrific. Cracking down on journalism, press freedom—it's a pretty dire situation there.
11: Yeah, and then the last thing I just want to ask is—and this is kind of a wild part—would either you or, uh, obviously, Mike, being a veteran, have you guys ever considered, as uh, awful as things were shaping up, have you guys ever considered running for uh, political office? I Any mean, either of you?
1: no hell no no
0: because (laughs) first of all i would be it would be persona non grata from the get um they would just talk about the israel stuff and the 9-11 truth stuff from my past and i would just i wouldn't even get my foot out the door but i also i feel like there is something to be said and, and this is of course i know there's a ton of fucking awesome people running a lot of people like dsa affiliated psl affiliated people socialist candidates and i totally support um any third party efforts and stuff like that but I just feel like I don't want to brand myself and like, I, I feel like a lot, and and I'm not speaking for everyone who runs for office, but I do think a lot of it is like vanity campaigns to get attention for people. And um, yeah, I, that's just not my style. No interest at all in running for office. I wish we lived in a different society, man, but... Yeah. Uh, at this point it'd be too crazy,
5: dude. I
11: have
0: yeah. to hear
6: from
11: the source.
1: Thanks for <laughs> taking my call. Thanks, man. Thank you,
0: D. We'll take one more.
1: Oh yeah, you're down for one more Abby. Marathon hey, I
0: know we're marathoning. Dang. I mean I feel about all these people have been waiting for so long.
1: I know. Um well not all these people have been waiting for so long. We're getting to the last person who've been waiting okay. for a very long okay. time. Karthik. Where are you calling from? Press that smash that mute button off. Hello? Hey.
10: Okay, good. Uh, I- I'm calling from San Diego. Um, I- I've actually uh, been a huge fan of Abby since high school. On uh, Hell yeah. When, when CYT talked about you once a long time ago. Fuck uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm just gonna keep it quick. So um, I just wanted to know your what your thoughts on on uh, 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 Jimmy Dore uh, potentially running for president. That's it.
0: Um, I did not know that until you just brought that up. Is that actually happening?
10: Um. Well, he just said he's thinking about it, and like, and there's plenty of people that have been talking to him, according to him, at least that that have been talking to him for a few weeks or months that are like are trying to get him to run, but you know, he 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 says he's very reluctant for you know several obvious reasons.
0: Man, well, first let me ask you this: What do you think about it?
10: Um. Well, you know, I've been a, a huge fan of uh, uh, Jimmy for a few years now. Like, he mm. seemed like he, he was one of the. Uh, Few people uh, criticizing the uh, uh, COVID bailouts, like to the extent that they should have been, because it was like five trillion. You know, obvious reasons. Um, uh, I'm just scared he'll get uh, CIA'd or FBI'd. That's all.
0: (laughs) Why don't Why don't I'll tell you this. I'll make this promise. If he decides to run, then I'll uh, I'll have something to say about it. But right now, if it's if it's just him kind of pontificating the idea, I don't know how much much there is to say about it right now but i think uh if he if he decides and throws his hat in the ring then yeah we'll uh we'll definitely address it
10: okay yeah there's some people in the people's party that are trying to get him and he said Mm -hmm. but that's all i know
1: i think uh running at the people's on the people's party ticket would be a problem because you have to be on the ballot and getting ballot access state ballot access is extremely extremely hard um i've done ballot access campaigns to get gloria lariva on the ballot And when you have a massive, you know, a couple hundred people volunteering for all the petitions, all that stuff, getting on thirteen states was like a massive, massive accomplishment. Um, So, People's Party, as far as I know, has ballot access nowhere, and to get on for president is super hard to get on. To get on, if they were able to get on the ballot in in ten or twelve states, I would, I would actually be surprised. Um, So that seems like a that seems like a big barrier there um but i don't know if he's thinking about running in a, a primary of one of the major parties uh that that probably seems more realistic
10: oh yeah, oh, yeah. i doubt he would run democrat
1: but
10: yeah. <laughs> uh, that'd be wild
0: to see man that's that's anyway, for sure
10: uh thanks for talking to me you're you're the first person i've ever talked to on colin
0: oh hell hey. yeah dude no shit thank you so much for calling in Karthik. i hope to hear from oh, you I, again I, man. I,
10: I think i met you once at a fan event like uh a, a years ago or i met you at something awesome great to talk to you for, hey uh, good to
0: talk to you too man uh, hopefully i'll thanks. see you soon we might be coming to san diego for an event soon mm-hmm. um yeah, so yeah awesome. Thank keep you. in touch dude appreciate you all right mike should we wrap it up i know that there's other people in the queue so sorry we appreciate you so much you guys thanks for sticking with us it was a really it was a doozy today huh marathon longest one ever how did we top last week doozy. You guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please share our show. We work really hard on Dosed. Uh, We put a lot in these episodes, and we would love if you guys went to iTunes, give us a little rating, shared these episodes with your friends and family, because, you know, a lot of them are evergreen. We wanted this to kind of be an archive that you can continue forever to pass along and blow people's minds about not just politics, but everything. Um, Because there's so many dose things out there. And we'd love to hear more of your stories next week. We hope you guys join us. We have a lot of great guests coming up. And I will definitely take all of your comments and guest suggestions into account. You guys have been great. Robbie's coming on the show soon um, to answer you, Biomed0101. Appreciate y'all. Until next time.
10: Wait a minute. I want a woman.
6: I want a woman. A woman. A woman.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gender equality.
5: Yeah. Uh, Maybe I don't. Let's. See. <laughs>